episode number 60 of the Carp Chronicles podcast and what a treat I have in store for you today. The man, the main man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> Stuart Brooks, joins us uh, for a highly interesting interview. Um, some of you might not have heard of Stuart. He gained, I don't want to say a cult following, but kind of like a cult following after publishing his first book, which is called Beyond the Green Gate. Um, it was very low numbers, very hard to get hold of. It was went out for crazy money on the second-hand market. Anyway, he was kind of creating some waves for his angling at Savvy and, and some other waters as well. So anyway, many of you won't have heard of, of Stuart, but I think you're going to really enjoy listening to his account of his angling. Now, in this episode, we cover two incredible waters, um, the iconic Savvy, and the hugely interesting and hush-hush water known as chimneys, which has largely been uh, no publicity, but Stuart has is, is got the all okay to, to, to mention it in this podcast uh, and in his book. So basically this episode covers his second book, which has just launched um, called Hiding in the Long Grass. And I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. As I said, Stuart isn't hugely known, but for the anglers that are kind of in line with with the style of fishing that I do and that I talk about, you know, low stock, um, perhaps harder waters that are a little bit more off the beaten track. If you're into that kind of fishing, you're going to absolutely love listening to Stuart's account of his angling. Uh, wait until you hear how he caught um, a very special fish from Save on the day ticket um, with a split cane, no less. Anyway, I don't want to waffle on too much. Uh, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode with Stuart Brooks. Before we jump into the episode, of course, got to mention our superb sponsor, targetbaits.co.uk go ahead check them out super fresh ingredients super high quality ingredients really good quick postage service i cannot say enough good things about these guys they really are superb targetbaits.co.uk and you can grab 10 percent off if you use the code chronicles 10 at checkout and actually I tell you what, before we jump in, I'll tell you where to go and get Stuart's book because you really, really should pick up a copy. If you visit hidinginthelonggrass.co.uk, you'll be able to pick up his new book, which is called Hiding in the Long Grass, and you'll also be able to purchase a reprint of his first iconic book, which is called Beyond the Green Gate. So you can pick both of those books up there. The web address, once again, is hidinginthelonggrass.co.uk. .co.uk. That's it for the intro. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Stuart Brooks, welcome along to the podcast. I think I uh, I said this to you before when um, when we spoke. I don't think you ever saw yourself doing a podcast, did you? <laughs> Definitely not. Hi Sam, how are you? I'm um, good. Excellent. No, this is this is kind of uh, very new territory for me. Uh, yeah. So please please be gentle. Of course, of course, uh-huh. of course. We, we've spoken at, at great lengths before, and you know we've, we've done a recording, which may or may not come out. Um, in this episode, we are starting off your your angling adventures in Save or at Save, I should say, which is obviously one of the most beloved waters in the UK. How did your Save angling come about? You know, where did it all start? What happened? Fill us in from there, please. 
Yeah, sure. Um, I, I suppose, I mean, I've been, I started fishing in the Colne Valley in 2001, I think it was. Um, and that just gave me access to waters and people and, and, and that sort of thing that I, I hadn't known and seen before. Um, so through fishing the Colne Valley, um, you know, Save was only across the, across the canal for me, uh, from the other, from the other lakes. So it was, it was always there, always in the, in view as it were. And, and one year I, I think it was about 2006, I uh, applied for a day ticket on Sabe, um, which I think was 2006, um, which really was the start of the adventure. Um, I mean, Sabe, you, you mentioned it, a wonderful water and so much history and the fish and the anglers and um, an amazing lake. And, and to be honest with you, I think when I bought the day ticket, I just wanted to go and have a look around the place, but you, you can't help but fall in love with the place if you ever get to see it. Um, so I joined a joined as a day ticket member, as all syndicate members have started on the days. There is there is the days is the way to get onto the rotor, and you don't get onto the rotor unless you've got a day ticket. So it's really the sort of way of whittling down the anglers, I suppose. Um, I didn't fish it much in the first couple of years. I, I had a day ticket. I was fishing pit three, pit four, and, and quite happy over there. But uh, in 2008, my situation changed whereby uh, I opted to take a redundancy from work. And that allowed me more time uh, and time in the week as well, in which I could go and, and see if I could catch a, a carp on the days. Mm. Um so that, that that was 2008 was when I really started fishing it. Um, I, I I had a, a big team talk with myself beforehand, and my my angling really is it can be summed up with small leads, finding the carp, casting at them, you know, moving, floater fishing, stalking. I'm not a prolific baiter. I'm not a prolific caster. Um, so I was really conscious that I had to if I was going to catch a a save carp on the days, um, I was going to have to stick with what you know, what, what I had tried and trusted in my armory. Um, so my plan when I took the day ticket was to just walk and walk and walk and walk. And I figured that throughout a season, if I'm walking the lake as often as I can, sooner or later I'll stumble across an opportunity. Um, so that's how I decided to attack the days on Sabe. Um, I didn't want to get into the habit of six o'clock, the gate opens or you can open the gate. Um, and then run down the canal bank and chuck two rods as far as I could. I just knew I was going to learn nothing that way. Um, so, yeah, it was very much mobile, doing lots of laps. Um, and eventually, um, on the days, it was August 2008, I um, came across my first chance. Um, I'd, I'd arrived at the – it was it was August. It was, a, it was the hottest day for the summer so far. I arrived through the Save gate at about nine o'clock, um, parked up in the day ticket car park and, and, and took a little rucksack and, and off I went for a walk. Um, kind of, yeah, as per usual, keeping mobile, no rods with me, um, but I, I had a look round and down the road bank of, of uh, Save. Um, didn't see any fish or, or there were some fish about, but they, they really weren't interested. They were just cruising around. So I carried on my, on my walk um, and past the, the Cottage Bay on the right-hand side and towards Peter's, Peter Broxup's Island. Um, and just opposite Pete's Island, there's a little swim called the Lawn, which 
It's a grassy swim, not favoured by the by the syndicate members. Um, but there, probably ooh, six feet from the front of the swim, were about eight or ten carp. Um, and all I could see was eight or ten uh, tails waving at me. Um, they were clearly troughing. Um, whatever it was down there, um, they were they were clearly eating it, and it was very close to the front of the swim. So kind of I, I made myself small and kind of got to the back of the swim, looked around expecting a syndicate member to come walking down the down the path with the barrow, say, yeah, I've already seen him, off you go. Um, but when nobody appeared and there was no one up the trees, I kind of ran back to the day ticket car park. Um, I grabbed a, because it was such an intimate little chance as far as, fishing less than a, a rod length out i um i chose to <laughs> i chose to take the uh dick walker mark for uh carp rod and center pin out of the car Jeez. um yeah so it just didn't feel like an appropriate time for a 13 foot rod and a base no, it, was, it no. just yeah it would have worked but um yeah i, I, I my, my dad uses a lot of old tackle it's something that i've i've, I've been around for quite a long time i've caught a lot of fish on pin and cane um, but it felt most appropriate for this particular chance. So putting my stalking waistcoat on and stuffing my pockets with bait and leads and all the bits and pieces I'd need and ran back to the lawn before anyone else could find these fish. And, um, yeah, luckily I got back to, to the lawn and, and no one else had spotted them or there was nobody about, I should say. Um, and I looked down towards the front of the swim and there were the fish still there, still troughing. Um, so I kept myself well back from the swim and I went about trying to arrange all the tackle into a some sort of way that might catch me a carp, um, put new line on the centre pin because I wasn't sure how old that line. I've got some 12-pound line in my pocket, um, little rig, tiny little lead um, and some putty up the line, usual bits and pieces, nothing too uh, spectacular. Um, and, yeah, the fish were still down there, still feeding, still tails waving at me. Um so it probably took me about five minutes to get from the back of the swim to the front of the swim because I was crawling on my belly and I was, you know, trying to hide behind bushes and, and that sort of spindly little bush that was at the front of the swim. So I tried to get down there as quietly as possible. Um, and kind of when I eventually popped my head above this little spindly spindly br uh, bush, um, I think a group of about five went off to the left um, and two moved off to the right. Um, so I, they obviously kind of had heard me or felt me or um, they knew I was there and I'd obviously, despite my my attempts, I'd obviously sort of told them that I was there. The five fish that went off to the left, I didn't see again. Um, but the two fish that had gone off to the right kept coming back again um, and they just have a little mooch around and then they go off again and then they come back again. So when it was, when this, when it was all clear, I managed to drop my led literally off the center pin spinning drum um onto this little clear patch and managed to tuck the line away and out the way of the weed with some putty on the line and brought it brought the line up from the right on the left hand side of the swim rather than uh, sort of through the middle of the of the, the sort of swims entrance um the rod was well back the tip was not over the water and basically i was relying on the ratchet of the, of the center pin to as my bite alarm in essence um so when they'd moved those two fish had moved off to the right i managed to just drop my drop my rig there uh, it was a an apple cord boily um so just 
picked around at it on the, on the, on the round bit. And, um, yeah, dropped it in there with about three boilies crumbed up into about six pieces each. So lots of little bits and food and stuff and smells there for them. But it, it was pretty obvious, and it turned out, I found out later, somebody had baited that spot. Um, obviously, I wouldn't wouldn't have known that, and nor would anybody else who was fishing it. But it turns out they were on a load of sweet corn or maize that somebody had put in. Um so I knew there was some sort of food down there for them to be troughing like that, but um, I didn't want to put too much down. I was looking for a bite. It was as simple as that. And they were already there and already feeding. So it's all dead simple stuff, really. Um, but it took a, took a, about three hours of hiding and hiding behind this little bush and waiting patiently. And I think I went through a packet of fags. And, yeah, it was um, quite a, a tense sort of two or three hours. But eventually... Uh, one of the fish that had gone off to the right uh, came back again. And he's only about six feet from the very front of the swim. So it's all happening at real close quarters. Um, anyway, this this fish had come in and I thought he was the bigger of the two. Um, Sorry to interrupt. What kind of size would you put that at? Um, 40 pounds. That, you know, give or take, you know, the, the one might have been 35, one might have been 40. That's Sorry. a sort of kind of, but big, big, big proper save carp. I, exactly, but uh, but I, in all honesty, Sam, um, it wouldn't have mattered if they were no. twenty pounders. They were yeah. savvy carp, and that was, that was so. The size of them clearly put everything. The the, the size of the fish meant that um, the tin of beans was going. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, but yeah, eventually, eventually this this. Bigger of the two came in. He went down. The water was now at this stage a little bit cloudy, but I could still see him and I could see see this little tail waving. And then all of a sudden, I watched as he came off the bottom, shaking his head, um, and with that shot off to the his right or my, my left as I'm looking at the, at the water. Um, and I looked down at the rod because I wasn't sure at this stage where he, whether he'd thrown the hook or, or still got it in. But as I glanced down to the rod, the ratchet started started clicking and and I bent into my first Save carp, um, which is quite a feeling really. Um, you know, we've all been brought up and grown up, you know, knowing about Save and the history of it, you know, to finally be stood there with a then feeling like a Mark four and a, a center pin mm. and a size eight hook was really, I was pushing my luck a little bit, but it was so exciting. Um, the, the, I picked up the rod, the fish went left, um, Managed to sort of stop him on that run, and and he moved in front of me, and then down to the right, and I managed to stop him again, um, and then a bit a bit of plodding around and, and give and take in the in the margin, and I pulled my pulled my first Save carp over the landing net. Um, yeah, as I say, quite quite a moment. Um, made a phone, couple of phone, I got a couple of mates who are on the um, who are on the syndicate, so I made a, a phone call to a mate. Uh, he came down and um, we carefully weighed the fish at, I think it was 41.14, I think, uh, off the top of my head. Um, yeah, quite a quite an introduction to Save. Um, and obviously the jungle drums. So let me just step back a bit. This is a, a very long, leathery carp. There are a couple of scales on it, I believe, so it's not... A true leather, if you, you know, before I get shot down. Mm. But as far you know, I would refer to it as a as a leather or a leathery carp. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't know how many feet in length it was, but it was the longest carp I've ever caught. And, and I remember trying to uh, trying to put it in the net. Actually, I had to make sure that the the nose, his nose, was right up to the spreader block, and then I had to give it a little shake to get his tail in. Proper long, old Savé carp, um, uh, known as or called the the little tailed leather. Yeah, um, it, it really did have a little heart shaped tail, didn't it? Yeah, one of those melted away little sort of brush tail. I don't know what it is. I'm sure whether it's a genetic thing or what. But leathers seem to 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 have that sort of paintbrush tail, yeah. um, rather than sort of usually mirrors and commons. But um, I don't know whether that's a, a genetic thing or, or or just the fact that I've noticed it more on leather carp. I'm not sure. Um, but yes, we we took the photos, put the fish back, and um, yeah, I spent the next rest of the day just walking on air. Um, I'd I was the happiest. Happiest fisherman in England, I think it's fair to say it on that day. I mean, uh, the, the the amount of people that catch a carp from a survey on days is, I mean, very, very few, isn't it? It is. It's you're it's, essentially yeah. you're essentially there just as means to get your your full term ticket, right? That's that's how it's viewed by a lot of people. Yes, yeah. um, but and, and again, if I was more inclined to be fishing at 120 yards with two rods and a load of bait, you know that would have been probably a good way of trying to get on the syndicate or, or getting to making sure people get to know you. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just there to try and catch a carp. I'd got no desire or interest or no, that's not right uh, for, for a syndicate ticket, but it wasn't something I was searching. I was happy fishing other waters at the time. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I wasn't fishing. I was perhaps quite unusual that I was fishing the days, not desperate for a syndicate ticket. Yeah. Um, but obviously that that fish um caused a a bit of grapevine twitching going on and obviously it, it was the talk of the town for the for, uh, for a month or so um and it turned out that um funny enough a, a, a buy of that capture i'd obviously sent a, a a picture of of that fish to tom banks the owner of Savay. um and it turns out obviously from 2008 2010 Tom was doing a lot of work on uh, protesting against HS2, High Speed Rail 2. Mm. Um, and that was obviously, he was obviously going to uh, conferences and that sort of stuff and demonstrations. And and he, I'm, I'm shooting forward probably four years here, but he phoned me up and it turned out that that picture he'd been, he'd been looking at um, uh for the last couple of years, because he'd used my photo of the little tailed leather to uh, promote Savé, or kind of as a, like a bit of a um, banners on the you know around his stall or whatever it would be, he'd obviously used a picture of me with the little tailed leather. Um, so when in 2012 he, he phoned me up to ask me if I'd like to have a uh, a syndicate ticket, it it was the capture of that. It was directly the capture hmm. of that fish that had that led to it as it were so um well he owed you didn't he <laughs> well, well, i didn't quite see it that way but, you, but yes of, of course he did <laughs> um so so that was august 2008 i've caught myself a Savé carp i am super happy and that's the box ticked as far as i'm concerned um but i went i went back to other waters and, and continued to fish those for a couple of months but i think when we got into september october time i started to think I'd like another one. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the first. I'm not the only one that always wants another one. But uh, I decided to give it a 
another attempt in it was October, beginning of October. I thought I'm going to try and catch another one. Um, and to be honest, it was a very similar, very similar story. I did a lot of walking, a lot of feeding, um, you know, just trying to carve a chance out, as it were. Um, and back in the first time I was back after a month or so, um, after the leather, um, I I went back into the lawn and I could see a great big, two great big clear areas just a bit further out than I had been fishing or a bit further out than I'd caught the leather from. Um, no fish about, but the fish were cl clearly had been using this little piece of water in front of me. Um, so I, I, I set myself a goal. Of, I, I said, right, for four days, I'm going to go through the Savé gates at six o'clock and I'm going to leave the Savé gate at 8.30 or 9 o'clock, which was the your, your exit time. Mm. And I'm going to spend all the time in the in the lawn, back in the lawns where I'd caught the... Uh, caught the leather from so no no walking around at all you were just you were heading there that's that correct um so what i think i arrived on the and i wasn't working at this stage i'd uh, taken a redundancy so i was in between jobs um but i i think i got down there on a on a monday evening first thing i did was to to go through the survey gate the lawn was free um and i put in i don't know half a dozen boilies chopped into little pieces um and I, I put that out on dark and then sat there for as long as I could almost just to make sure no one went into the swim um and then at nine o'clock I had to get out the gate uh, as per the rules but then the next morning at six thirty six o'clock at the gate I was sitting there waiting so I did I ended up doing full four full days um sitting in this one little swim that only has about 20 yards of water in front of it, mm. fishing one swim, uh, one rod. Um, and when I, that first morning, when I went back through the Savé Gate, parked up and ran my few bits and pieces down to the lawn, all the bait had gone. Now, as I say, I didn't put an awful lot in, but I made sure that the bait that I was putting in, I could see from the, from where I stood. Um, and yeah, the first morning I, I arrived, and there were no carp about, but the bait had gone. Um, so I, I ended up sitting there for four days, dropping in a rod at probably quarter past six in the morning, a um, little bit of bait, and then just sitting back for the whole day, just one rod um, with a trying to repeat what had happened with the with the leather. Mm. Um, but at each of those four mornings, I'd arrive, go down quietly to the front of the swim. Poke, poke my head over the over the little spindly bush and I'd be able to see that the bait had gone um every single morning which obviously kept me coming back um and I'm not I'm not very good at sitting in one swim sitting on my hands I'm, I'm I get itchy feet very quickly mm. um, but I managed to stick to the plan um and but but during the four days I didn't see a single carp but every morning the bait had gone um and I, I, in those four days, I didn't see any bird activity in front of me either. So I was pretty convinced that it was carp coming in during the night or the hours of darkness and eating the few little bits of bait that I put down there. Mm. Um, yeah, four days I was starting to tear my hair out. Um, decided I'd go home for, um, for, a, for a while. But as soon as I got home, I knew how close I was. And I think I ended up being at home for about 16 hours before I ended up 
driving back down to Save because I, I knew how close I was. And of course, you know, I, I just got these visions and horrors in my head about somebody else finding the fish there and catching them. Um, and I just knew I had to be back. So I arrived in the, again, I arrived in the evening. Um, lawn was free. Um, bait had gone. I introduced a bit more and then left for the evening to come back in the morning. Uh, came back in the morning, bait had all gone. Um, and I just dropped my little rig right right at the front of the, of the swim, sat back and watched. And at mid-morning, a couple of carp came around Peter's Island and um, and came into my area. But the, I've never seen carp. I've, I'm lucky enough that I've, I've caught quite a few fish stalking, but I've never seen carp acting like those two carp acted in the lawns that day. Um the first one, they weren't, neither were big fish. They were probably low to mid-20s, um, but they were savvy carp. Um, the first fish basically spent three hours about a foot from the edge of the swim, mm. right in the middle of the swim, and it was he was just looking. And we, we basically spent at least two hours just looking at each other. I, I couldn't move for fear of – he was obviously looking for some sort of either rods or bivy or movement. Um so I couldn't, I couldn't move, and we just spent two hours looking at each other. Um, the other fish was was almost zooming left to right, left to right, just behind that fish, and it was pretty obvious that he was looking for lines in the water. So I'm, I'm for probably now about three hours. I've been looking at these fish, and they've been coming in and out, but they spent most of the time six six foot from the bank going up back, back either sitting there still looking at me or looking for me or zooming backwards and forwards looking for lines it was it was unbelievable um but in the end they, they dipped down and uh that next day i uh, managed to repeat the repeat the thing with the that i had with the leather and managed to catch one this one wasn't on a pin and cane this was on a more modern rod i would not got the pin and cane with me that day um but i caught my second that day uh, i caught my second save car on the days in the form of a 21 pound mirror um which looked as old as the hills and half blind in one eye and looked a proper old savvy car not big you know but just full of history um and and that was me on the days um i'd had those two fish in 2008 so august and october 2008 um, but then, of course, it was a case of, right, where am I going for the autumn and the winter fishing? And that wasn't Savvy, that was somewhere else. Um, and and to be honest, I didn't go back to Savvy for probably three years. Um, I had, yeah, I was fishing elsewhere and catching well and enjoying it. And, and I've always been one of those kind of guys that I can only fish one lake at a time. Um, I need to give it my all. I can't flip between lakes. I've always been sort of a one lake man so to speak um so yeah there's the survey side of things went very quiet um because i didn't go but in may 2012 uh i was fishing on pit three just across the canal and the, the phone rang and, and there was tom's name on on the phone and cut a long story short he, he said you know there's a become a vacancy on the tow rotor would, would would you like to uh take the place and of course i was yes please and you know managed to uh managed to secure the ticket without him saying no i've changed my mind um so in may 2012 i was officially um a savvy syndicate um member on the tow rotor 
Amazing. Um, with, so this is now four, four years on from those those two captures. And would that have been your choice to be on the Toads, or would you have rather the Loonies? Um, I mean, it doesn't matter, does it? You've no, got a face no, savvy. <laughs> at the at the time, um, or, or, or in two thousand and eight, when I was fishing the days, I noticed that the Toads, the Toad rotor, was less busy than the Looney rotor. Right. Um, and I knew people on both rotors, so I didn't really mind which one I went on. Um, but by the t- in 2012, so sort of four years later, uh, it's, it turned out that things had changed down there. And actually, the toad rotor was the busier of the two rotors. Right. Um, so I was on the toad, which was fine, but it was the busier of the rotors. Um, but, yeah, you, you, you don't complain when Tom offers you a... Mm, of course not. Um, so, yeah, kind of, I think at that stage in 2012, I'd finished on pit three, finished on pit four, uh, golf course lake and pit two, which are all a chain of lakes just the other side of the canal to Sabe. Um, I, I was at the point where I couldn't really see where my fishing was going. Um, I've been living in Nottingham since 2006. So at this point, I've done six, six years of a 140 mile round, uh, 140 mile trip to get the rods out. You know, that was losing its, um, its novelty, uh, to say the least. I couldn't really see where my fishing was going to take me in the future, but that phone call changed everything. Um, and Save then from that point on became my everything. And I dropped pretty much every other ticket and I knew that I couldn't fish Save half heartedly. It had to be uh, a full on campaign. Um, so it kind of that, that phone call gave me some clarity. It gave me, you know, a future in the in the Calm Valley because I was starting to. A lot of the lakes in the Calm Valley are are dead men's shoes or very private, um, or long waiting lists that sort of stuff. So getting a lake in a, another lake in the Calm Valley isn't it isn't easy or straightforward. Um, but a position had been given to me on the Toad Rotor, and 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 that was my future as far as I could see at that point. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah, so um, yeah, we, we I've sort of skimmed over 2008, and that brings us to 2012, um, which it, it, so the, for those that aren't aware, um, Save is split into two rotors. There's the the Toad rotor and the Looney rotor, and it's one week on, one week off. Uh, there are ten rotors for each rotor which takes us through to about the 1st of November, at which point the two rotors merge and you can then fish whenever you want for as long as you want. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a kind of very much a split between toads and loonies for the first, or for the summer and the autumn. Yeah. And then once we start to get towards winter, the, the, the rotors merge. Um, and at, at that point, a lot of people sort of lock up for the year. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But... Um, yeah, I, it was my only water, so I kept going as much and as often as I could. And I loved every minute of it. It was marvellous. Um, I turned up to the fir- for the first rotor, so we now, I think, because, again, Save always starts on, a, forget June the 16th, Save starts on the Sunday. Yeah. If the, if the 16th is, a, is the Sunday, then you start on 16th of June. But this year, uh, Sunday the 10th, was the 
was the start of the you know the first rotor. Mm. Um, yeah, I drove down on that Sunday morning from Nottingham. Yeah, well, the, the month before, I'd spent so much time packing the kit, repacking the kit, taking bits out, trying to lighten the load, all the bits and pieces that you you do when you're starting a new campaign with uh, you know, respooling lines and that sort of stuff. Um, and eventually, you know, it, it took forever, but eventually June the 10th arrived. Um, and I arrived at Savay to find, uh, first of all, I've got to mention, this is now the first time I've opened in the gate. I'm going past the day ticket car park on the right. Yeah. And I'm driving continually. I'm driving straight on and coming to the syndicate park, car park. This is hallowed ground. So even kind of <laughs> just parking in the syndicate car park yeah. was, uh, yeah, quite a, quite a feeling. Um, and I suppose talk of feelings there's that feeling I got when I opened unlocked the gate opened it up drove through it out the car closed the gate and locked the gate and then carried on into the car park the the, the only way I, I've, I've learned to describe that feeling is to me it felt very much like the first day at secondary school mm-hmm. you know you you you'd done you'd been a big fish in a little pond so to speak and all of a sudden now you're a, you're a little fish in a very big pond. Mm. Um, and it felt like the first day at term and I was the new boy. Uh, there's two new boys, funny enough, that, that, that rotor. So there was two of us got onto the toad rotor that year. Um, and yeah, it, I was just hoping I wasn't going to get a bog wash from the big boys. <laughs> um, you know, it, it was that kind of feeling of yeah. being totally out your depth and, uh, you know, what am I doing here? And I'm never going to survive this. Um, that feeling of going to secondary school, it, 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 it's the only way I could describe it, uh, of what that feeling like was driving through the, the syndicate car park for the first time. It was just an amazing feeling. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I went for a walk. I parked up the car, went for a walk, uh, found John Harry setting up, who's the bailiff there. Uh, and there was Tui there, so another member. And... We had a cup of tea with John and then Tui and I had a walk around the lake. Um, and I suppose the, the, the big there's two big differences between the day ticket and the syndicate ticket. First of all, on syndicate ticket, you can fish three rods. Um, day tickets can only fish two rods. Mm. Obviously, I can fish the night as well now, which I couldn't on a day ticket. Um, and the, the third uh, element of, of the, or the advantage of, of the survey syndicate is that i can now fish the coal bank so as a day ticketer you have access to the road bank the cottage bay north bay and the canal bank um but there's a gate at the bottom of the canal bank where it's hallowed turf no day ticketer is, is allowed through that gate mm. um so again, opening that, unlo- having got the code, unlocking that gate for the first time was again quite a quite a feeling of I'm going through onto the coal now, and this is this is Rod Hutchinson stuff, you know, this is super super exciting. Um, so we we did a we did a lap of the lake, and but of course with Save every Sunday um, there's a draw for the swims, so you can go around and find a, a million fish in a swim, but unless the drawer is kind to you, someone else will take that swim. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a very different way of fishing. Um, but I, I, I think I came out um, 12th out of 14 in that first, on that first rotor. Um, 
which suited me. the worst case scenario for me. I think on that first road, it would have coming out first. I just wouldn't have known what to do or where to go. Mm. Um, but coming out 12th, um, you know, there, there weren't many swims left. Um, but I, I selected Boil in the Bag, which was a swim name I'd always liked the sound of. And it was the only swim name that I knew I hadn't heard being called by the other toads. So I ended up in, in um, that first night fishing, first night on the syndicate fishing, uh, round on the calm bank, in boiling a bag with three rods and doing the night. It, it was just super, super exciting. Yeah, amazing. Um, and yeah, there was a lot of people on. We'd, ha- we'd had some really good weather um, sort of in the run up to the session. All the weather forecasts were saying, come four o'clock, it's going to rain. And when it rains, it's going to stay raining. So we kind of went around there, went, loaded our barrows and went around to the calm side of the lake, knowing that we had to get our fingers out and get the house up and get all sorted before the rain arrived, um, which we all did. And, and it was all all good. Um, the, the first evening, first afternoon, I think the rain started about four or five o'clock and I think about eight o'clock, nine o'clock, something like that. It was it was starting to get dusky dark because it was overcast and rainy and stuff, although it was summer. Um, and I'd got Tui, who was fishing to my right, and I've got Craig Stevenson, who was fishing to my left. And we all met up in my swim just before dark and you know, having a beer and a chinwag. Um, my first night, I haven't, I haven't done a night yet. Um, and all of a sudden, as we stood, stood chatting, my middle bobbing went up and down again and then up and down again and beep, beep, beep. And kind of was a, made my way to the front by the rods there. And one of the two of them said, uh, that's a carp. I'd hit that if I were you. So as it moved again, started to tra- the bobbing started to travel up the up the line again. Um, I sort of wound down and, and pulled into a into a, um, a resistance of which one of them said, well, that's a carp. Here we go. Um, but I wasn't so sure. And it wasn't until I got it about 30 yards out. Um, I turned back to them and said, I think it's a grebe. Hmm. Of which both of them looked at each other and took a visible step backwards. Um, <laughs> now, I'd never landed or hooked or uh, landed a grebe before. I'd gotten, but they were so they're vicious buggers. You'd be careful. They are savage. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, when I asked for some help, no way was was the, was the response I got. You're on your own. So it kind of felt like a bit of a, a new boy initiation ceremony. Um, I managed to get the get the hand the hand line the the, the grave to the to the front of the swim and got it on onto the bank. And it was the line was wrapped around its foot. That that was all it was. Mm. Uh, but as I went, put my hand to unwrap the line from around the leg. This bloody thing put his head back and then tried to skewer my hand with his beak um, and frit, <laughs> frit the life out of me. I jumped back to a distance, safe distance of about 20 yards. The, <laughs> the green went plopping back in, um, still with line around its leg. I've got two toes behind me laughing and joking and and, and saying what a mess I was making. Um, yeah, <laughs> not the ideal. Anyway, I, I got back to the bird, got him back on the, on the, on the dry land again, put a landing net over him. And this, he's still trying to skewer my hand. But he actually, he must have thought that there's like a the front of the swim, there's like often is on swims, like a log or a bow. Mm. Um, and he obviously thought that was my hand. And, and he was like a woodpecker 
pecking, you know, springing back and smacking his beak into this, um, <laughs> into this piece of wood. And a couple of times he got his 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 uh, beak stuck in the wood. You know, couldn't. You know, it took him a couple of goes to get his beak back out. In the end, I've I've managed to untangle it and and plop it back in the water and retired and yeah yeah to all the laughs and jeers of the toads behind me. It was uh, yeah an interesting first night and uh, yeah one I've not forgotten that's for sure. I can imagine. I can imagine. So from then, when when did you catch your first? Uh... Well, I guess nighttime carp, or at least carp. Once you'd had your your full yeah, I, I, it, just to help you, I call them syndicate carp and day syndicate carp. carp. Um, um, so I'd I'd booked the first week off. Obviously, my first rotor on my first year, um, and I booked the whole week off, and, and my, I was going to be at Savoy for the whole week. Um, stayed around on the calm for a couple of days. Um, I rem- actually I remember on that second morning, so not the not the Monday, this would be the Tuesday now. It piddled down with rain all day and, and kind of it got to, it was starting to loose, lessen up a bit, kind of when it got to about four or five o'clock. And I thought, right, I'm going to have a move. When the rain stops, I'm I'm going to pack down and I'm going to go further down the car, almost back towards the car path, but still on the calm bank. Um, you know, I think the fish, we had seen some bits and pieces of fish activity in front of us. It was getting less and less. The rain was start coming to an end and I thought, well, I'm going to have a move then. As I started to have a little pack up in my baby to make sure everything was ready, just to chuck on the on the barrow, Craig, who was fishing to my left in one down, came walking past me with a loaded barrow in his waterproofs, barrow, barrow covered, and he was heading in that same direction. So basically, I learned a big lesson that day of if you want to do something, do it, do it now, because others will beat you to it. Um, and anyone that's fishing on Save will, will will tell you that the the anglers on there are good enough. That if the fish are showing, if the fish are feeding, they'll find them. Mm. So you've you've re- if you've got a plan, you've really got to get it done now and then, because otherwise someone will beat you to it. So I learned a big lesson that day. Um, it turned out Craig moved to where I was thinking of going, and I ended up catching three in the first twenty four hours. So. I, I kind of sat back and thought, well, actually, do you know what? You, you got the right idea. Didn't didn't come off this time, but at least I, you know, I was reading the lake right as it were, which, which was nice. So I, did a, I think I ended up doing four, three nights round on the calm. Needed some fresh water to look at, or new water to look at. So I ended up going into the North Bay, which uh, scene of uh, Rob Malin's Tiger Bay. Um, that was where he was fishing for that story or in that book. But nobody had fished the North Bay yet, um, on our rotor, so this year. Um, and I thought, you know what, I'll go and stick my eyes in there for a couple of couple of nights and see what I can see in here. Um, yeah, got set up, very weedy, found a couple of spots. Um, and Craig, Craig was doing a lap of the lake at this time, and he... He came back a couple of hours later and said, mate, there's six fish. He said, I've been watching six fish in the North Bay. There in amongst them is an uncaught 50 pound sandy leather or sandy mirror that I'd heard. I'd heard about this sandy colored mirror right. um, and the fact it was an uncaught and no one had, you know, kind of could put a number on it. But uh, Craig came back and said, there's six big fish. They're in the North Bay and they're heading in your direction. Um, so at that point, I made the decision to stay as you know, stay another couple of nights in the North Bay. Nothing happened, um, and I think for the final two nights, I then moved on to the Canal Bank, so 
I'm now heading back away from the car uh, and onto the car, uh, the canal bank. Um, and I'd seen, sort of late morning, I'd seen a big common go over in front of the swim. Um, so I grabbed a bucket and marked me, marked me territory and, and ran back for the, uh, for the barrow. Managed to get the swim so I, I, I could triangulate whereabouts. I thought I'd seen the fish go. And it was a big common that went over. Um, I managed to get a couple of singles out in the sort of area that went down with a decent drop, and I thought that'll do. Um, so I'm still on my first road to here. Uh, there's been a few fish caught, um, but nothing to my rods at this this point. But on the, I think it must have been the Saturday morning, so we've now only got one night left, but the Saturday morning, I woke up to a bobbin or line that was tight, tightening up and a buzzer that was just starting to make the bleeps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sprang out of bed and oh, I'd, I'd had a, when I was fishing in the North Bay, the only thing I, a bit of action I had had was a tench, a uh, seven pound, ten, seven pound ish tench. Um, but of course, it was a Save tench. It wasn't any old tench, it was a Save tench. I was mm-hmm. well chuffed with it, although it didn't really count. Um, but this this next morning, uh, the the line pulled up tight, and a fish appeared to have done exactly the same thing, which was just pick up the bait, shake its head, and dive straight into a weed bed. So, although I watched the line picking up and the you know the bite start to develop, by the time I picked the rod up, he was in a weed bed, and all I did was just pump the weed bed back, um, managed to uproot it and pump it back, and I I thought I'd lost it, you know, I was bringing in a I don't know a mini a mini car sized ball of weed. Um, and uh, yeah, as it got towards the, got towards the um, uh, front of the swim, probably 20 yards out, I could see a carp shaped tail at the back of this big ball of weed. Um, so that got the nerves knocking, knees knocking, but cut a long story short, managed to bundle it all into the net. And it jumped into the water and I'm peeling, I'm peeling at the weed, trying to, Get it out the out the and all of a sudden a mirror appeared down at the bottom of the landing net. Um, my first syndicate carp. Uh, it was twenty, just shy of twenty two pound. Um, but not only, again, I'll just step back slightly. But anyone that was fishing Savay knows that a blank season is absolutely on the cards. You know, it, it, it Savay will be everybody up at some time or another, and and you know your first job really at the start of the year is to try and avoid the blank. Um, so to get one in my first rotor, um, was, yeah, very pleasing and put me on cloud nine really for, you know, for the, for the remaining time I, I had on, on, on Savvy over the next few years, it, it was all consuming. It was just a wonderful place to be. Um, but I, I packed up some, I packed up from that first rotor, went home dead happy, um, Second rotor, I, I didn't catch. I couldn't get anywhere near the fish. Third rotor, uh, I managed to catch two, a 26-pound and a 28-pound mirror, both mirrors. Um, and that was at the end of July. I can't remember, mid, middle of July. So, was it early July? Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It was the third rotor. Um, but I didn't catch another fish for the remainder of the, of the season, despite fishing it as hard as I possibly could. So I ended up the, my first season with three fish, all 20-pounders, and all caught in the first six weeks of the season. So it was a long, long blank after that, but it didn't really matter. I I'd, I'd, I'd avoided the blank and I'd caught three. I was delighted. So with these three carp that you've caught, what 
what was your what was your approach to this? I mean, I know you've just filled us in on the story, but were you baiting areas? Were you trying to get something going, or were you just kind of going off what you could see? I was just fishing in the moment, really. There was no yeah. baiting up. There was it. So it's, it's too busy to bait up. It's not quite right, but you know, you don't want to you don't want to step on anyone's no. toes. You don't want to ruin anyone else's chance, especially as the new boy. Um, you know, time for that might come in the future years, but you know, at the yeah. moment, all my fishing was based around try and find them, little lead, bit of bait, you know, kind of try and find a, find a chance and try and convert it. Mm. Um, the two that I caught were um, on my third rotor. I'd done a, a night, sounds like I'm a one-to-win wonder here, but I'd done a night in the lawn. Um, I turned up late, it was dark, so I just dropped in the lawn and dropped a one rod on that margin spot. Um, nothing was happening, didn't feel particularly confident, so the, the next morning I put everything on the barrow and I just went for a walk, found some fish down on the road bank in a swim called the pads and went back and got the bivy. Um, and uh, so I got the barrow and headed back to the pads on the, on the road bank. Um, I've not fished the swim before, but there was, there was half a dozen fish about. Um, but I managed to just about find a hole in the weed. Um, and yes, yeah, swung a, swung a, a single bait. I did. Put, I think I did put probably 20, 20 baits as close as I could on this small spot. Um, but the the coots had got a couple of oh, got a couple of kiddies, and uh, they were sort of teaching them how to draw, how to dive, and how to pick up boilers and that. So, so I was kind of looking out, going, oh, "I'm not sure about this." I've got coots looking at me, and and then all of a sudden I noticed that the, the coots had kind of just gone back towards the, the safety of the snag tree they lived in. Mm. Um, but with that, my the, the, the bobbin lifted and the line started uh, sort of cutting across to the left. So suddenly realised that a carp had come in, picked up a bait, the coots had, coots had scattered, and I was I was into another fish. So, so again, it was very much a, um, a stalk, although I couldn't see the bait being taken, it was a stalking-type angling situation. Um uh, funny, funny enough, whilst I was trying to identify where this little spot was and, and how I was going to present a bait on it, part of the leading, I always put on a, an old old rig because I like to try and catch a bit of weed or whatever is on the bottom there. So before I cast that, I generally put on a, an old rig and just have a lead about. Um, on the hook, I'd obviously, I'd obviously picked something up and there was a bit of resistance, so... And I wanted to get this bit of weed onto the bank so I could have a look at it, tear it apart, smell it, you know, that sort of stuff. Hmm. But as he was coming towards me, I thought, I'm not sure that's weed. <laughs> and and my mistake was evident as I reeled in and then, you know, hand-lined to my hand or, or swung into my hand a pair of size 8 Marks and Spencer's G-string in black. <laughs> um, yes. Hooked square in the gusset. Um, so it counted um yeah marks and spencer's size 8 g-string um which told me all i needed to know about the loot uh, about the loonies and i was glad i yeah. wasn't told because I, I put it down to the loonies they get up to some funny stuff those boys uh, yeah <laughs> um but i repeated that the next day or later on that day and had a had a, had a third a, a 28 pounder so that that put me on the three for the uh for the year but to answer your question i i really decided that I knew what my strengths were as an angler and I knew what my strengths aren't as an angler. 
and and fishing at long distance with a load of bait and sitting and waiting is just not my way of fishing. So I was I was determined to stick to what had done me all right in the past, um, and if you like, not throw the water out with the don't throw the baby out with the proverbial yeah. water. Um, I wanted to stay true to how I fish, and 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 I knew that using load of bait and fishing at you know at the horizon was just not my best way of catching a carp. But but I knew that sooner or later I'd have to do that. But at the moment, I was just in, you know, that first season, I was just in learning territory. Um, so, yeah, it was a it was very much a season started well in 2012, that first year. Um, but then the wheels fell off and I, I didn't catch another carp. But uh, I was fishing survey. It really didn't matter. Um, yeah, immense, immense. And, and at the end of the year, it was, yeah, just, just uh, those of you that know survey or heard of survey can probably understand the feeling that you you get from fishing a water like that or red mire you know a lot of you have probably been to red mire i'm sure that's a similar sort of feeling to what i got at Savay for that first year um, doubt, i'm sure i mean it's just it is for many it is the the ultimate it's the everest isn't it of, of carp fishing it it is to me uh it is to me i love my history of the sport um you know, and the stories of old, uh, and not only are they stories, you know, at this point now, not only are they stories, but they're stories about the lake I'm fishing. Mm. Uh, so I, I do love the whole history side of side of our sport. Um, but yeah, was just absolutely loving my time on survey, seeing some immense fish. You know, just absolute, you know, season making fish, um, old and. Yeah, big. Oh, just wonderful. Wonderful. It was just a lovely, that was a lovely year on Savo, my first year. But of course, you only get your first year once, don't you? Kind of, of sort of feeling sort of tends to dissipate over time, doesn't it? Because, because it comes a bit more normal. Yeah. Um, but that took me to the next season um, where I, I won't take you through all those captures, all the, all the captures. But uh, I finished with first year with three fish. I finished the second year with five fish. So I always start the season in my head saying I would like one more fish than last year. That's always my goal. Um, so I, I, I've done that by, by moving from three to five now. I know my maths is good enough to know that's an extra two fish, not one. But, um, yeah, I was, I was improving. I was learning. And, and my catch rate, I suppose, showed that. Um, are, are, are you kind of – are you taking it – extremely seriously as in the only thing that's important is the fishing or are you indulging i mean i know you're on the toad rotor but it, i think the social side was still fairly strong wasn't it were you indulging yeah, well, in that at all or were you just strictly there for business uh, <laughs> um i suppose first of all the loony rotor is the more um loony rotor <laughs> yeah. um, a lot of the loonies spend the weekend in the pub um, if I'm honest, the toads weren't big drinkers. Uh, the toads, generally speaking, would um, drink tea. Um, yeah. I was one of only two that used to take beers with me. Um, so it was, I mean, increased a bit over time as more and more people started. But it, it, it wasn't a wild and wacky uh, social life. Mm. But it would have been on the on the loonies. If you, I, I spend all week at work dreaming about sitting by the lake i don't dream of, of sitting in a pub yeah 
so for me, I, I would prefer to stay at the lake and always have, you know, don't get me wrong, I've, I've partaken a few times in the horse and barges fun and games, mm. but um, yeah, I try to sort of stay focused on the fishing as much as anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the second second year, uh, again, this was this is quite big for me. Uh, first rotor, first first rotor of the second year, uh, first morning, I'd uh, I caught one, uh, and it was a twenty one pound four ounce mirror, um, which uh, I don't know some of your listeners might think, oh, twenty one pounder, but it's a twenty one pound Save Cup, and and, and it, it's just different, just different whether you get it or not. Um, it, the size doesn't matter. We all want the big ones, of course we do. But at the end of the day, you on a lake like that, you just want the bobbins to move. Um, so I was delighted in that first morning of the first rotor. Uh, again, I'd um, I'd avoided the season blank, uh, but I went on to catch five fish that year. Um, the first one was that twenty-one pounder. Uh, the second second one was I was uh, round on the coal bank. And I was fishing a swim called Malcolm's, made fam- famous by Malcolm Winkworth, who uh, who invented and inverted commas the hair rig, uh, along with Clive Dietrich. Which um, so there, there's two swims on the Colbank. One is called Malcolm's, one is called Clive's, and it's where Malcolm Winkworth and Clive Dietrich used to fish on Save and develop the hair rig. So again, steeped in history and. Mm. Um, but to the left of, of uh, Malcolm's is a set of snags that are called Grassy Corner. They're known; it's known as Grassy. It's a bit of a corner on the bank, not not much, but a bit of a right hand bend. Um, but there's some snags overhanging the water and in the water, and the fish, generally speaking, love that area because it's it's safe. Um, I've, I've found a number of fish in there uh, in, in this grassy corner by sort of standing or climbing out on the tree over the water, looking down. Um, there were three fish in, in residence um, this particular day. Two of them looked forty pound, give or take, and then a, a, the third one was a bit about ten pounds smaller. So I, again, I thought two forties and a thirty, yeah, kind of kind of size, but big enough, big enough and ugly enough for me, that's for sure. Um, so I moved into Malcolm's and I I put one one rod about two feet from the bank, one rod about eight feet from the bank, and another one of, that was my distance rod at ten feet from the bank. Um, so I was hoping that these fish would would come out of the snags, come along my margin, and 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 there would be three hook baits for them. Um, so, and, and the other thing with to, to mention about Malcolm's is it's probably the finest view on the lake of Save. Um, you know, you're looking up the section of Colmbank, Tom's Island on the right-hand side. It, it's just a beautiful, beautiful place to sit. Um, so really nice to fish that swim. I, I promised myself for a year now that I'd fish that swim one day and hadn't yet. So to finally fish Malcolm's was great. Um, but it, in, the, in the morning, um, it would have been about nine o'clock the next morning, um, I'd have a couple of liners in it, bearing in mind how close in I'm fishing. I'd have a couple of two bleep liners, which got the got the heart racing. But um, it was it was due to rain. Uh, the clouds were starting to gather, and I'm probably a mile from the car, and not really wanting to get wet. Quite frankly, you know, just as I then got to get in the car for two hours, so decided that I'd try and make a run for it before the before the rain started. So. Pretty much everything was on the on the barrow and loaded at ten o'clock in the morning. 
apart from my rods on land in there. I've, left, I've obviously left them to the last moment. Um, put everything on the barrow, took my remote Delkin receiver out of my pocket, turned it off and put it in the tackle bag. And as I'd done that, and I was just opening up the rod hold all to receive the rods once I'd re- reeled them in, and all of a sudden I've heard this jangle and then a tick, and I kind of, well, what was that noise? And I turned around, looked around, and the left-hand rod was bent round double, big plumes of bub- bubbles coming off the bottom, big vortexes. Um, and, yeah, this fish is going nowhere on a tight clutch. Um so I've obviously struck into it and um, I've bent into it. And, uh, yeah, good scrap in the margin, as you can imagine. Couldn't let it go too far, um, too far to the left to go back into the snakes where it had come. But it's it swung around to the right. I thought, oh, it's a, you know, got like a mid-20 sort of sparsely scaled mirror. Um, oh, lovely. You know, kind of came around again and it ooh, looks looks a bit bigger now. Um, eventually got it into the landing net and uh, looked down. In fact, as it was... I was drawing its head over the towards the spreader block. I thought, that's a big head for a 20-pounder. Um, anyway, it turned out uh, that it was a fish called the trophy fish, which weighed in at 39 pounds, one ounces. So my, my guessing of weights was well out. Um, and I knew that this fish had been caught the previous, or the first rotor of the loony rotor, um, it had been caught at £47, I think it was, by Russ. So it had obviously spawned um, between captures. Um, but at £39 one, I was delighted. And mm-hmm. the, the trophy fishes, there was a lot of conjecture around the stocking of Save. Um, I mean, Save's not been stocked as far as I'm aware. I know it has in the last couple of years. But the last stocking was in 1990, give or take. Um, and I think the stocking before that was kind of 50s and 60s. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, it used to be run by the Ricelip Angling Club. And I think they used to move some fish in there. So knowing the sort of actual heritage of all the fish is, is not an easy thing. And, and there'll be people out there much better at this than I am, you know, on the, on the history of, of Savé. But we think, you know, this trophy fish was probably stocked in 1956. Um, so it's a proper you know we're talking 65 years now mm. so you know proper old fish and unfortunately i've heard now that you know in the, in the 10 years after there are a number of those fish are now coming to the end of their lives you know which which happens but um yeah the trophy fish was one i dearly wanted to catch and uh yeah it was my first big fish out of Sabe on the syndicate um so that was that was that was an awesome catcher a um, couple of couple of rotors after that, I managed uh, from from the uh, from the birches on the canal bank. Uh, had a thirty-one pound mirror, um, and I think that was kind of so. I caught those three fish in. I think it was June, July, and August. So I kind of I was getting a bit of rhythm to my fishing. I was getting a bit of consistency with the catches, which which was perfect. Was just what I wanted. Um, but we're now sort of probably after that capture a few blank rotors. Now getting towards October, uh, very start of October. Um, you know, autumn's arrived and it's just starting to feel a bit yeah. Um, fish the chose the chose the roach swim, which is on the canal bank. Um, and there was a, I got people either side of me fishing, so we had it in the evenings, had a beer and a you know, uh, barbecue. Um, 
and then on that first night, I think we're early early October, I think we are now. Um, we just Clive the chef and I. I think it was about eleven o'clock at night. We were just having a bit of a clear up of my swim, and and the, the rod, well, I left on my middle rod. I think it was rattled off. Um, just totally unexpected, but that that rattled off, and, and and to be honest, I sort of wound it, wound it, wound it like a dog on a lead. No fighting, no major issues, and it's popped straight into the net with Clive at the front of the swim, with the net in hand, and me stood behind Clive. Um, it's kind of weird. We got it into the net, uh, pitch black at this stage, and I then started to get the mat and the sling and the scales and whatever ready. Um, but I hadn't really looked down in the in the net at this stage, but Clive did, and Clive took, turned to me and said, "Looks a bit of a lump, mate," was was his exact words. So with that, I came over and looked over his shoulder into the net, and there there was this common that just needed a sudden putting on it. You know, that's an old phrase and a bit of a cliche, but wow, the size of this blinking common that was in my net was, yeah, almost frightening. Um, so we made a couple of calls to the lads further down the bank and because we knew we got a big fish, you know, more hands, the better. Um, but we got it up on the bank and we were able to confirm or identify the fish as Wimbledon Common. Um, and up on, the, up on the scales, it went 48 to 15, which... Um, it turns out, I obviously didn't realise at the time, but it turned out that Wimbledon Common at 48.15 was actually the third largest capture of a carp out of Save ever, <laughs> which is quite, quite bizarre when you think how many fishermen have, wow. anglers have fished it and however how many years, you know, obviously there weren't the, the size in there, but to have caught the third largest carp out of Save, yeah, what a feeling that is. Um got some lovely photos of it uh, and, and that fish there's a there's a uh, every year there's a tradition on Save where the biggest fish of the year earns the Save Memorial Cup um, which is a trophy that's engraved with all the names and all the weights uh, of the winners in previous years so it was really uh, at the start of the next rotor sorry start of the next season John Harry presented me with the Save Memorial Cup uh, for that capture of 48.15 with my name engraved, you know, and you look back and there's Clive and Malcolm's names are on there and Bod Hutchinson. You know, it's kind of just, yeah, amazing to feel part of a historical lake. Um, and I, I, that was a two fish road to that one. I ended up with a one just shy of 19, 19 pound as well. So the, the journey home that, that, that sort of Sunday was, was with a spring in my step, having caught a new personal best, just shy of 49 pounds um and that kind of ended ended the season for me really five fish so two more than the previous year um and yeah just loving every minute of it just nothing else was on my mind it was single-minded focus um i think i'm right in saying that year i did so there's each rotor gets there's 10 rotors, seven days a week. So each rotor gets 70 nights. So I'd done 70, I'd got, I'd, I had the opportunity to fish 70 nights by the time the rotors merged. And I, at the end of the year, I ended up having fished 35 nights. So basically I'd done half of my possible nights on the rotor. Yeah. Uh, so every single bit of holiday, every bit of bit of sneaking out of work early or <coughs> I'm not feeling very well. Um, mm. 
you know, everything was designed for um, with Savé in mind. Um, yeah, all consuming is kind of the only way I can I can kind of uh, uh, put it really. But um, I don't want to sit, sit here and tell you all the fish that I've caught out of Savé. But I, the next year. Um, I was again. I'm really starting to get into it now and learning some of the some of the sort of patrol routes and where they might go or where they would like to sit. And so, my third year, I managed um, nine fish. Um, so again, you know, almost doubled my quantity from the last. So things are moving in the right direction for me, which was which is very pleasing. Um, and and so, sorry to interrupt, but just to give people an idea, what what is the average number of fish per year, if there is even well, um, a lot of people don't catch anything, of course, in our correct, area. correct, yeah. I would think probably two, three, four would be about the right number. So you are absolutely powering ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm flying. I'm on a purple power. I'm, yeah, I'm flying. I'm doing well. Um, don't get me wrong. I didn't. I'm not suggested by any stretch of the imagination. I took the water apart or ripped no. it a new one or any of those kind of phrases, but. Yeah. I was managing to stumble across some opportunities and I was managing to convert some of those opportunities, which uh, was very pleasing. But the, that third year, um, that first rotor, I, I caught three that first rotor, um, 18 pound, 24 pound and another 24 pounder. Um, so all pretty small and I've been quite unlucky because I've now had a number of doubles and twenties. Um, so, I got the got the reputation of a, a little bit of a fishing in the kindergarten kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, but to to be honest with you, it didn't really matter to me. I just wanted those bobbins to be moving as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so having fished that third rotor, sorry, that first rotor on year three, um, to have caught three in that rotor was just immense. And for the third year on the trot, it meant I'd avoided the blank in the first rotor, the season long blank in the first, I caught on my first three rotors of the year, um, which was, yeah, just takes the pressure off a little bit, you know? Um, but I was, at this point I was probably flying. I'd done nine, I had nine fish and three in that first, uh, first rotor, second rotor, I had a, a 27 pound, uh, 27 pounder. Third rotor, I had two, uh, fourth rotor, I had two, uh, you know, so I was not only catching them, not only getting on them or finding the chances, but converting them in, in multiple numbers often, which, again, was very pleasing. Um, the, the probably highlight of that, sorry, two highlights of those nine fish. One one would have been on the fourth rotor. Um, I was, again, back fishing on the canal bank. The canal bank was doing a lot of bites that year. Um, so I ended up on the canal bank and, uh, and back in the swim called the Roach. And um, first bite of that weekend, uh, had a, it was a good scrap, actually. A lot of the ones I've mentioned so far, I've just almost wound in. But this was a good scrap, and I'd got it in the, in the margin. I could see this big two-tone mirror uh, in, the, in the margins, looking for somewhere to shed the hook. Now, funnily enough, that, that day I'd had a conversation with Jordan, one of the other lads on the rotor, and um, he said there are three two-tone fish in there in Savé, one of which is a fish called Lionels, which is probably what everyone refers to as the king of the lake, the oldest mirror, you know, kind of. It's not the biggest, but it's the one, if you said, right, you can only have one fish, most people would go Lionels. 
Um, so anyway, I, I, three, three, t uh, two tones in the lake. One of them is uh, Lionel's. One of them, and this is what had uh, instigated the conversation with Jordan. He had lost one that previous day. He'd lost one of the two tones the previous day. Um, so basically, uh, thinking that the one that Jordan had lost yesterday is probably not going to be this one that I've got on at the moment. That means there's a 50% chance that this fish I'm attached to is Lionel's. Hmm. Um, so, of course, you know, Sphinx is starting to twitch a little bit. And in the end, I got it over the net, um, could see it wasn't Lionel's, uh, but it was a, a two, lovely two-tone mirror weighing 37 pound and ounces. Um, so an absolute belter and an absolute beauty. Um, and and I managed, luckily, I'd managed to, to, to catch one after that as well on the same rotor. So that was a 24-pounder. Um, but the other the other big one I caught in the, on that particular year was in early September. And again, I'm, I'm absolutely flying here. I'm on eight fish. And it's only end of August, beginning of September. Um, and I did a couple of nights in the Cottage Bay, um, the famous Cottage Bay, um, and managed at about three in the morning, managed a, a common that caught up at a man's scrap, um, beat me up silly but ended up at 41 pound and two ounces. Um, and it was a common that had only been out three or four times of, you know, that we could, we could count. So it certainly wasn't one of the, you know, one of the regulars, uh, but we were able to match it up with a few fish and a few photos from previous years. Um, but yeah, that was, that was an immense thing. I was on early September, nine fish thinking, crikey, where could this, where could this season end? You know, how many am I going to catch? And then from that point, I think it was about the first week in September, I didn't have another fish for the rest of the year. So it was most definitely a season of two halves, that one. Um, but, uh, you know, I've caught, now caught nine fish in the year. So my three years now, I had three fish, five fish, nine fish. And, yeah, it's all moving in the right direction and, and going particularly well. Amazing. And, we sorry, which year is are we up to now, Stuart? This would be... Uh, so that third year would be 2004, 2014, 2015. Gotcha. Um, which are muted. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and you and you fished so it up until... An immense, an immense fish, an immense way to finish off that session. But there was a lot of blanking after it. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And sorry, Stuart, when did you fish you have I up until? Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Uh, so, sorry, I... Thought I dropped you off. Sorry, uh, my bad. Um, you might need to cut that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 it's fine. What um, I was just saying. What what year did you fish Save up until? So, uh, so now we've done three years. We're into, I suppose that that third season would have ended in March two thousand and fifteen, and that that year. So at the end of that year was actually my last full year on the lake. Right. Um, little little story. I, I did fish for two more seasons, but just to, to cut in here, I one of the other toads, um, and a good friend of mine who lives in Nottingham. So I ended up to, to, he doesn't drive, so I ended up taking him, taking him to Save and bringing him back Save, back from Save most uh, most weeks on my rotors. Um, but Craig um, was the ran the syndicate on a lake in Bedfordshire and he started telling me about this lake that he ran the syndicate of and it was um uh, you know he'd left there to go to Save 
And I wasn't really interested, quite frankly, because I was on Savay and what was going to take me off from Savay, you know? Anyway, we got we got chat, and eventually in November of that year, so this would be, I think, November of 13, I think, um, Craig took me for a walk around his this, the, the water that he runs the syndicate on, mm. and I fell in love. Um, so the lake in question is called Chimneys, mm. um, which is in Bedfordshire, and... A lot of people have, you know, a lot of people in the area will know the name Chimneys, but very few people know what's in there. There's nothing really out there to tell you what's in there. So there's a lot of people know nothing about it, but want to know. Um, it's one of those waters. It's 120 acres. It's just like uh, Raysbury in as much as 120 acres. It's split into North Lake and South Lake. Um, you know, the fish can go through. Uh, through a gap into the north like they could in, in Raysbury. Um, and it, it was a similar sort of size and, 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 and proposition to that. The uh, the stocking was pretty unknown, although I've got to say Craig is probably the best carp angler I've ever fished with and, and his results were spectacular on chimneys. But mere mortals, you know, it was a real struggle. Mm. Um, he took me around, around the lake and, and, yeah, I just fell in love, took his offer of a winter ticket up. So we are now in November 13. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll come on to chimneys a little bit later, but basically a big lake with a syndicate of 20 people. You normally had the lake to yourself. If you didn't, let's say there was three people on, then you've still got 40 acres of water to go out. You know, kind of, it was just a different way of fishing and and it blew my mind it blew my mind chimneys absolutely blew my mind and took uh craig up on his offer of a winter ticket got myself a boat you could use a big boat on that basically there were two rules on chimneys first one was always wear a life jacket when you're in a boat and the second one is don't be a twat um <laughs> it was simply go and fight go and do some fishing you know, you're, if you're fishing a water like that, you don't need a list of rules. Just crack on and do some fishing. Don't upset anyone else. Just go and do some. And it was just such a, a throwback. Um, I, it just absolutely blew my mind. But, is, um, is this, sorry to interrupt, is this water still sort of active, so to speak? Yes, totally. It is. Yes, I mean, do we is. need to be careful with what you're saying here? or is it? Um, there, is a, there is a publicity ban on chimneys. Right. which is um, yeah, why nobody knows anything about the lake and its stock. Um, right. But uh, the, the Craig, cutting a long, very long story short, Craig, who, who ran the syndicate, was also the owner and proprietor of Trent Bates. Mm. Um, now, Craig, at the point in time that I've had those nine fish from Savay, Craig actually sold up and him and his wife uh, left the country to live in Spain. So, um Craig dropped his survey ticket, um, and and when he sold the business, he sold it to a couple of lads, Dan and uh, Dean. Um, so they ended up taking on the syndicate um, because it came as part of the Trent Bates empire, as it were. Mm. Um, and there, but I, I said to Dan at the very start, I said, "Look, I, you know, I may well end up writing a book. You know, I've already done one." Um, 
I might end up writing a book. And his words to me were something along the lines of, uh, look, you know, social media is one thing, um, but a book is totally different. I'm happy with you doing a book. So, um, so that was that. So I got the green light around the chimneys. You, you mentioned about right. publicity bans and stuff. So, yes, there is a publicity ban, but I've been given uh, given the green light to write a book about chimneys, or that includes chimneys, I should say. Yeah. And and we can mention it on this podcast, I guess. Absolutely, yes, I absolutely. <laughs> I suppose put it this way: I no longer have a ticket, so um, you know, I've not got anything, uh, no skin in the game anymore, as it were. Okay, so so your your time on Save is is obviously done. I mean, you've got to be riding a bit of a high of confidence at this point, right? You've oh, absolutely you've gone on to Save. You've done extremely well, far better than than the vast majority of people that have ever fished it. You've uh, you you got to be super confident going on to chimneys, right? Absolutely. Um, but to me, Save was still the be all and end all. You know, kind of I was I was in love I was in love with two ladies, so to speak, and. <laughs> You know, I couldn't just um, push Savay to the side. That would that would be criminal. Mm. Um, so, so I ended up the next two years. I ended up splitting my time between Savay and Chimneys. Mm. Um, so the fourth year, I'll, I'll just stick with Savay for a moment. The fourth year, I had a, t- a ticket on there, um, which was 2015. Uh, I came away with. Um, uh-huh. I had two fish on in 2015, and I had one fish in 2016. But in those two years, I didn't fish Savay too much. Mm. Um, so two fish and one fish for the next two years were a paltry return, but at the same time, um, it was reflective on the amount of time I'd not done on Savay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I... I I think the final final straw, but the final thing for me was, I think it was the summer of 2016. I was sitting on survey, not near fish, couldn't find fit or couldn't get near the fish. And a mate phoned me up from chimneys and he got the lake to himself and he was, he'd had a drift round and he'd, he'd plotted up here and da, 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 da. And I just thought, I, I want to be there. Mm. <laughs> and, and, and so it, and so it kind of happened that I left Save, but not, not because I wanted to leave Save, but, because I just found this other beautiful woman in my life, let's say, um, <laughs> called Chimneys. And neither of those lakes are um, for the faint-hearted. You, you, you've got to go all in on either of those lakes. You can't dabble between the two. So I did a bit of, of, of dabbling between the two for, the, for those two years, um, but I knew my time at Savay was coming to an end because the, the, my future was at Chimneys, I felt. Um, so yeah, a couple, I had a couple of, couple of half years on, Ch- on Sabe, um, and finished up with two fish, one fit and one fish for that last year. So the last time I went to Sabe would have been in about September, 2016. Um, I held my ticket for another six years, six or seven years, um, but never went back. Um, two reasons for that. Firstly, chimneys had cast a spell by this stage. Um, but also HS2 was starting now for or the, the, the um, building of HS2 was starting. So for those that don't know, HS2, high speed two, um, is going from London to Birmingham and it's cutting across the beautiful Con Valley, over lakes, under lakes, up to the Chilterns, 
um, and then on to Birmingham from there. Um, and what that meant was the the, the train track um, was going straight over the top of Pit Two, uh, which is run by Harrow Angling Society. Um, and there was the, the, the sort of the the bridge, the railway bridge, was going to go straight over Pit Two, over the ca- canal, over the North Bay, and over the canal bank. And then heading off towards the Chilterns uh, over the top of Corda and Broadwater and some of those other famous lakes in the Carl Valley. So this was all happening. It was it was all about to start. The work was about to start. The fencing was about to come up. You know, the the tree huggers were in the trees protesting. Um, you know, Harris Harris fencing was going up. Trees were getting cut down. This was all just about to start. And I thought, you know what? I don't really want to be part of this. I don't want to see it. My, I don't want to sit there when I'm angling with steam coming out my ears because they've chopped yeah. all the trees down around the lake, you know, and, and, and I just, I didn't want to go. And I, to this day, I have not been back into the Colm Valley since 2016. Wow. So I haven't seen, and I, I've heard from friends and seen pictures, the devastation down there, mm. you know, it's just heartbreaking. And I didn't want any part of it. I didn't want to, do my fishing that way. I didn't want to hate being there. I wanted to keep the memories and the times that I'd got as pure and as happy as they were in my mind. Um, and yeah, it was the end of my time on Savoy. As I say, I think I held my ticket for about another six or seven years um, and then dropped it probably a couple of years ago now. And I knew that as soon as I phoned Tom and told him that I decided not to rejoin, I knew that I'd regret it. And of course I did because everybody that drops out of Savoy regrets it um but once you leave you can't go back that's no not one angler has dropped and then got back on Mm. it's just not how it works and you drop your ticket knowing you're dropping your ticket for good so um yeah good or bad at least i knew that before before dropping um yeah i mean the other side that is obviously you're giving someone else a chance to fulfill their dream aren't you by by dropping your ticket absolutely um and I think over those, you know, those six or seven years, some of the old fish started to pass on, pass away. Um, and I, it hadn't been stocked since about 1990. Uh, it might have been 89, but let's call it 1990. Um, but Tom put some fish, some new fish in two or three years ago um, because a number of the older ones had died. So he was looking after the, you know, the, the welfare of his lake. They're, they're all Savé. The stockies that were put in are all Savé bred fish, you know, so they're the stock pond at Savé. So, um, so a number of fish went in. And again, I thought, you know what, I'm, that's not why I want to fish Savé. Um, you know, to, to the future generations, that'd be great. But for me, there'd be stockies and there'd be a bit of a, oh, every time I've got one in the net. Yeah. You know, and I want to be punching the air when I've got one in the net, not wishing it was 20 pound bigger, you know. Um, so it's decision made, and I, I left Save, uh, having had twenty fish on the rotors and two fish on the days. And I was, I think I, I think I walked away with my head held high, but uh, didn't take it apart. But um, you know, the time I'd got, I was never going to. But I was quite happy with with how I'd fished and what I'd caught. And it was time for time for a new challenge, and that challenge was chimneys. Yeah, and how challenging was it? Chimneys was a whole new level. Um, chimneys was, yeah, rock hard. 
Um, I know, I know one guy took four years to catch his first. Jeez. Um, I know one chap that had one on his first night. He had a, something like a 17 or 18 pound common, thinking chimneys is easy, slipped it back, hmm. uh, and then didn't catch another fish for three years. Oh, no. <laughs> So it, it's a tough like. It is a yeah. very, very tough like. Uh, so, so, so set the scene. How many acres? How many carp? How many people fishing it? So, I mean, it, the obvious answer to how many carp is nobody knew. Um, it was literally go and try and get some bobbins to move. Um, I, I'd seen some pictures from Craig. I mean, Craig, I, I mentioned earlier, probably about the best angler I've ever Craig Stevenson, probably about the best angler I've ever fished with. And he'd he'd ripped it a new one. He'd, he'd caught, you know, lots and lots of carp out there. But they were all sort of 10 years before I joined. So a lot of them were sort of 20s and lower 30s. And, um, and a lot of the fish hadn't been out for 10 years. You know, it was kind of, kind of one of those waters where I, th- I think – Guessing, I think there'd probably be about 200 carp in there, uh, 120 acres. So you wouldn't call it a slow-stocked water. Um, probably about 200 fish in there, and there was probably about 80 that you would like to catch. And and by that, I mean over the last uh, sort of 10 years, there's been a, 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 a three stockings of 20 mirrors each time. So there was some some fish in there that were small and but beautiful. They're going to be cracking in a few years' time. Yeah, but not really why we were there. And how many acres? Sorry, hundred and twenty. So um, it's, it's a decent amount of carp, really. Yes, yes. It's not a not a. Yeah, I don't think it's an ultra low stock lake no. at all. No. But the the difference with chimneys, which is what makes it different to any anywhere else I've fished. Um, first of all, you can use a boat. Um, but secondly, I think the average depth is probably about 24 or 25 feet. So you've got a, a marginal shelf that runs pretty much along the whole of the lake, around the whole of the lake, which is probably a rod length in distance from the bank. And then in every swim, it just drops away into, into the abyss. Um, but it's, how did chimneys come about? It was it was dug in the 1930s and 40s. Um, and at one stage in this Bedfordshire Vale, um, there was something like 300 chimneys. So basically what they realised was that the, the clay that is under the ground in the area is perfect for making bricks and is of a certain type of clay that means the kiln and the firing uh, costs are quite low. So it kind of, I'm no brick expert, but apparently it, it, it cured the bricks very cheaply uh, as right. far as the kiln was concerned. Hmm. Um, and I was, yes, two or 300 chimneys in the Vale. Wow. Yeah, lots of, you know, when you, some of the older guys here might, might remember, we used to drive past, and it's, I'm glad to say it's before my time, but, Apparently, when you drove in the 70s and 80s down the M1 towards London, when you got past all Bedfordshire, you got a, there was a real distinctive smell in the air, and that smell was the the kilns and the and the and the bricks that were being produced. Mm. I think at one stage the um, uh, the the bricks made from that veil. So there's three pits dug, three lakes now. Um, one is called Brogborough, one is called Stewartby, and the other one is Chimneys. Um, apparently the bricks uh, from those three lakes um, or three quarries as it were um, 
equated to about one in every three brick bricks in the UK came from that site. Um, yeah, proper. You know, it, it was just a good and efficient way of making bricks. So it was dug and it was dug deep. Uh, they were after the Jurassic uh, clay underneath. Um, but yeah, the, the the big difference really with chimneys is the fact that you can use a boat, which is something I've not done before. Um, but also the the depth made it probably two or three times the volume of water of a normal 120 acre lake. Um, so you really had to think about the lake in 3D. It was I'd I'd never fished a. I think probably the deepest I'd caught a fish was probably 12 or 13 feet, I would think. You know, pretty norm. Yeah. Um, well, the, the the first fish I caught out of chimneys, I'll, I'll, I'll come back, but the first was caught out of, I think it was 37 feet of water. Takes some part. getting your head around, doesn't it? I've fished deep waters like that, and it's, yeah, it's takes a bit of figuring out, doesn't it? It, it does. Um, but thankfully, because my first fish was caught or hooked in 37 feet of water, all of a sudden, that depth disappeared from my worry. Yeah, you know, I was like, "Oh, right, they, they do get down. Of course, they get to that sort of yeah. depth." But, yeah, you know, knowing that, being able to confirm that and catch them off from that sort of depth is a real. Um, it saved me a lot of worry about the depth. Um, that you know, if I was catch wasn't catching or was only catching on the marginal ledge or whatever, it might have taken me a lot longer to get my head around the depth. But that first fish being caught in thirty-seven feet of uh, of water was was a blessing. And um, were there chances of fishing in shallower depths than that, or was it all pretty much that, or you're on a steep shelf? Uh, so, so the, the the lake bed was basically a series of bars, um, and it, I think the deepest bit of, I found on chimneys was forty six feet, um, and and the way it was dug with drag lines meant that they they. They dug up all the clay that they didn't want and put that into piles mm. and then dug up the clay that they did want and took that away to the kiln. So what it meant was when the, 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 the lake was, was completed as far as the digging was concerned, there was massive bars of, of, of clay. Um, so, so move forward a few years now, when you're going over the boat, uh, out in the boat with an echo sounder on, um, yeah, you'd have 37 feet, 38 feet, 39 feet, 18 feet, 32 feet, 36 feet, 38 feet, you know, 14 feet depth, you know. So it was it was up and down like a horse draws, um, and like a bride's nighty. Um, and you, you had the choice of either fishing on top of the bars or or down in the gullies. Um, and and they, they got from they came from everywhere, but it really was an egg-shaped box lake. Um, you know, you and um, what I did find was, you know, you'd you'd think, okay, so let's just say I'm fishing at 120 yards and I'm fishing in uh on top of a bar, let's say it's 16 feet deep. Well, you you can be watching fish going, Well, they're on me, they're bang on me. Why aren't I, you know, they're showing and they're right over me. Why aren't I getting a bite? Well, they only need to be a rod length beyond you or a rod length nearer to you, and they're they're in another 20 feet of water. Mm. So although it looks like they're on you, it very it might be the, the case that actually they're fishing, they're eating just behind or just in front of you, and therefore in thirty eight feet water, not not the eighteen feet that you've got your your bait on. So yeah, real real challenge, um, up and down all over the place. Uh, there's there was an island, and there is an island in the middle. So 
picture in your mind a figure of eight and you've pretty much got the shape of chimneys, mm. north, south, sorry, north lake, south lake. And in the middle between the north and south was an island, or is an island, probably about two acres, two acre island. So it's a big island, uh, about four swims on it. Um, but, you know, f- fishing on an island, again, is something I've never done before. So it was all super, super exciting. Mm. Um, and so the first time I saw the lake, Craig uh, took me for a walk round, um, you know, and obviously he was able to tell me about the swims and what he caught from where and how or what. And uh, really stoked me up. Um, but, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was still fishing Savé, but... Uh, that very quickly changed. I got a winter ticket on Sabe. That's sorry. I had a winter ticket on Chimneys. Uh, so this is now November 13. So I've been on Sabe a couple of years. Um, didn't catch anything in that winter ticket time. Only fished it probably five nights. Uh, didn't have a boat. So it was all by Barrow, which made it blinking hard work. Um, <clears throat> but I got to the end of the winter uh, and Craig said, do you, do you want a full ticket? Um, and of course, the answer was yes, please. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that first full year, I got myself a boat and an engine, and uh, it's also worth noticing that I'm, I'm, a, I can swim, but it's a long time since I've swum with clothes and wellies on, and <laughs> yeah, you know, I, if I'm out in the if I go in, in the boat in the middle of the eighty acre North Lake. That's that's I'm not that confident that I'm no. going to be able to swim back to the bank, no. um, yeah. and, and I'm a bit of a chicken shit when it comes to doing things like that. Um, I don't really want to die. Um, no. So yeah, it was. Um, uh, it took some. I didn't know whether I was going to like chimneys because I wasn't sure whether I'd like using a boat, um, and having never used a boat before, but it turned out I loved it. Um, yeah. I think that first that first year I did on there, um, I yeah, my my boating skills were awful. You know, if I'd love to have been sitting on the other side of the lake and watching me in a boat going round and round and round and dragging leads off the spot, and it, do you know what I mean? It was it was an abortion. It really was terrible. Um, but it's amazing how quickly I improved. Mm. Um, and yeah. In the end, or by the time I'd, I'd bought my proper proper night ticket, a proper full year ticket, um, I knew I loved it. I'd got a lot of learning to do, but um, fully embraced it. And again, because chimneys, I mentioned earlier, it's like a, it's an all or nothing water. You can't you can't sort of uh, do it half heartedly. So once I knew I loved it, once I knew I was okay in a boat um, and improving with my boating skills, um, yeah, I never looked back. Um, didn't catch anything in that first on that winter ticket. Um, I think I did something in the region of twelve nights actually. Uh, twelve nights on my first year because I was still concentrating on Sabe. Um, but that at the end of that first year, having done about a dozen nights on there, I knew I wanted to fish it. So really, year two was where I really started. Um, but, uh, yeah, I caught some, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, the ticket started, so I was, I was actually still on my winter ticket. So this is now um, March 14, um, and I've 
managed to managed to get my first bite, um, and I hooked it at about 180 yards in 37 feet of water. Um, I got a couple of mates sitting with me at the time, and we knew how difficult chimneys was. And here, here I was doing battle with a chimney's carp. Um, didn't fight much. Went straight in the net. Adam, <clears throat> mate Adam was in the net up to his wellies on the edge of the marginal shelf. He scooped it up and, and we just went apeshit, you know, whooping and hollering and jumping up and down. The fish just were, um, uh, from a point, the um, the fish weighed 15 pounds. It was a 15 pound common. And I tell you what, I have never been, <laughs> nor will I ever be so grateful for a 15 pound common uh, again, you know, just didn't matter, did not matter. Just to get one was an immense achievement. Um, and yeah, I did, I caught that one in, in March, which was March carp on chimp because of the depth of the lake. It takes such a long time for it to warm up that uh, March and April, you're still really winter fishing, uh, whereas on other lakes, they're now spring fishing. Um, but yeah, an absolutely immense uh, first year that just made me go, right, I want a piece of this. I'm prepared to do it. Um, so I started off in really in 2015. I uh, decided that Sabo was dropping by the wayside for me and my future held later at Chimneys. So I'd, um, that, that first year I really attacked it. Um, at, I must have done 100 nights on Chimneys. Um, I had, from memory, I think I had five fish that first year. Um, but they, one... <laughs> one Slightly funny thing was it was the start of my second year. I'd only done a couple. I'd done only done about a dozen nights. Didn't really know any of the locals. Had kept myself to myself, and was just trying to catch a fish, you know, sort of. But sometime at the end of that season, like you do, I was flick, flicking through photo after photo of people's captures of carp on my social media, and you know, just flicking through them quite quickly as you do. But all of a sudden as I would call it, a scroll stopper. And it was this beautiful common carp. And it was, it looked four feet long. It was mahogany uh, coloured, scale perfect, dipping its back. This thing was probably the most beautiful carp I've ever seen. Uh, one of those, you know, real, real showstopper. But I remember looking at it and, and not knowing the, didn't say where the lake was or didn't know the angler. But I, over that day, I went back to that photo probably five or six times and just stared at it going, wow, imagine having a ticket on a lake where there's a fish like that. Um, the next time I turn, turned up into the chimney's car park, there was somebody fishing the car park swim. There was a smoke of a barbecue. So, um, you know, after getting out of the car and having a piddle, I'm, I went to see the chap. And there was two blokes. One, one of them, it turned out, was a guy called Darren. The other one was a guy called Blaney. Um, the two of them were sitting there chatting and, hello, boys, how you doing? You know, how you getting on? I've not been down for a while. Are you catching? You know, sort of thing, you know, like you do. Um, and Darren said, oh, actually, yes, I, I, I've caught, I caught one yesterday. Um, weighed 44 pounds. Here, here's, the, here's a photo. And would you believe it? It was that fish that I'd come back to five or six times the day before. Hmm. Um it turns out I've got it was in the lake I've got a ticket for. It was it was just a, the most bizarre most bizarre set of uh, coincidences that yeah. um, it was just quite bizarre. Um 
And fun, funnily enough, nine months later, it was in the bottom of my net. Um, so it just uh, the, the story behind that fish was was just immense um, as far as luck and and yeah, nine months after seeing this on social media, it was in the bottom of my net. But I'm moving forward a little bit here, so I'll, I'll just back up. But it, I knew at the time that there was plenty of carp in there, and I knew that there was. It had only the lake had only ever done three forty pounders, one of which hadn't been seen for probably ten years. The common that Darren had hadn't been caught for ten years. Um, you know, it, that's the sort of lake we're talking. So, understanding what's in there, it, 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 it's just impossible. Um, so again, it just became a, a case of I know that they're in there. I know they're big enough for me. I know they're beautiful enough for me. That's all I need to know. The rest I'll find out along the way. Um, and that's what I did. I threw myself into it full time. Um, did a lot of nights, you know, through over the next probably eight years. So I had a ticket on there for eight years, I think. So up until about 2021. Um, so just to give you some sort of time scale here. Um, I think I've, second year so the first year i had that 15 pound common the second fish i caught from the same swim and the same spot of 37 feet would you believe it it got even smaller it was an 11 pound common um didn't take away the excitement of the capture though mm. um and then i on that first year i had a, a 22 pound mirror as well beautiful fish that went on to become one of the most sought after fishing now actually but there, there was enough for me to go yeah i want to catch these fish i want to fish here it was super exciting. You'd have, you'd use, I'd usually have the lake to myself. Um, you know, if you didn't, there was two or three anglers on there and, you know, two in the North Lake, 60 acre North Lake, two in the 80 acre, uh, sorry, 60 acre South Lake, two in the 80 acre North Lake. There's so much space that it didn't really matter if there was someone else on the lake. You, you, you got so much to choose from. And, and the beauty and the thing that really, took me away from Save and put me into chimneys was I'd turn up, I'd load the boat, I'd set sail, and I'd simply be going to try and find some fish. Whereas at Save, I was turning up on a Wednesday, halfway through our rotor, there'd be seven or eight toads already there, and those toads are all good anglers and they would all be near the fish. So it was difficult for me turning up half halfway through the rotor and fitting in to a certain extent which chimneys was totally the opposite chimneys was it doesn't really matter when you turn up um there's no the swims were all grassy um you know it's kind of all the whole perimeter of of chimneys is reed lined um you know and it was just a case of setting sail and seeing if you could find them and if you could find them could you catch one it was proper us versus the fish Whereas fishing somewhere like Save or Dinton or Stone Acres or any of those sort of lakes, you're fishing against the fishermen as much as anything. Um, and this newfound freedom of chimneys was, it just took me, yeah, by surprise. And, and, and I absolutely loved it. Um, the second year, I think I had uh, eight fish. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to. I'm catching quite a lot of commons around 20, 18 to 23 pounds, that kind of cricket back common kind of thing. There was an awful lot of those in there. 
Um, the lake, the lake used to be run by the Carp Society, funnily enough. Um, I think through the 90s, the Carp Society took it. And I think that's where a lot of people have heard the name Chimneys and kind of go, oh, I've heard of that. You know, it, So the Carp Society had it for a while, but the, the, the club that had it before them, they stocked it with a whole load of common carp um, to the point where if you were to catch four fish out of, out of Chimneys, I'd probably expect three to be commons. Um, so it, it, fishing for commons, but there were some good mirrors in there as well. And you, so it's not far away from, oh, it's very close to uh, Elstow. And there's a number of waters in that vicinity that I think stopped the whole of Bedfordshire. Um, so there's, we refer to some of the fish, some of the old mirrors in, in chimneys, we refer to them as Elstow-looking mirrors because mm. they were leathery or sparsely scaled and high backs, low bellies, you know, kind of just what we would call Elstow-looking carp. Um, but there was another, there is another lake just down the road called uh, Coronation. And I know that some of the fish came over from Coronation through the years. So the, the stocking in chimneys is a bit of a mixed bag, but it's mostly commons. And they're not just any commons. They're, again, I'll, I'll use the phrase that we use on there, Redmire looking commons. Um, you know, I'm not saying they're leanies. I'm not saying they're from Redmire, but they that bronze kind of lovely shape to them. Yeah. Um, you know, long and lean. Um, yeah, that's that's the sort of commons that we're we're fishing for here. Um, but yeah, totally, totally immense. And and you know that any any fish that you get, any you know, sorely sorely wanted. Um, but I did so. I did catch. I think I caught five of the of the proper ones on that first year. But I also caught three or four or five of the smaller stockies. You know, sort of twelve pound. But then the stockies they put in there are real scaly, lovely looking things. Probably going to be relatively slow growers, I would think. But um, they're certainly certainly going to be prized possessions in the future. That's concerned they're belting little fish. But not really why I wanted to be on chimneys. Um, but the, I think it was that second year uh, I did a session on the on the island around the back of the island, and. Um, I suppose just to set that story up, there are also some massive rudd in the lake. Now, I know Simon Bowler, no, Martin Bowler, I beg your pardon, um, when he first came to prominence, it was through catching very large rudd and very large perch. And he was catching those very large rudd from Elstow, but apparently also chimneys. Um, but chimneys is stuffed full of two-inch rudd. You know, some sometimes in the evening when it's not nice evening still, the dimpling on the surface looks like it's raining. You know, that many small fish in there, but there is a handful of very large rudd. Now, going back to Darren's capture of that mirror of that common that I mentioned earlier, um, and that same session he caught one of these rudd. Now he caught it at 160 yards with a five ounce lead on a pop up boilie, so clearly wasn't rudd fishing um but out of interest he, he got it in the net and obviously went that is fucking huge and he weighed it on his rubens you know so none of this is all proven or anything but he read, weighed it on his rubens and he weighed he, he settled on a figure of five pound four ounces 
Now, at the time, and I think still, as far as I'm aware, the Rudd record is £4.10. So this Rudd that Darren caught and weighed and photoed is just... It, it, mm. It's probably a British record. Yeah. Um, but, of course, Darren had absolutely no uh, desire in trying to do that because he wasn't fishing for them. But anyway, this session on the, on the lake, uh, on the island on the lake... Um, First thing I caught was one of these bloody great big rudd. Um, caught from about three three feet from the bank um, at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, had a stuttery type take and <laughs> struck and, and and pretty much struck the fish into onto the onto the uh, terra firma. Um, looked down at this this rudd and that's bloody huge. Now, funnily enough, since I I've put the photos of Darren's rudd and my rudd together, and I think they were the same one. Difficult to tell, of course, but I think it was the same one. Um, and I put it, but I, I took a photo of it with my hand over the fish, uh, over the rudd, just to give it a bit of perspective. Um, but you can see how large it is, and, and it was probably a British record rudd. Um, but I slipped it back, and as it sort of was drifting off in the darkness of in the water, I did kick myself for not weighing it, but I did say I'm going to catch one of those by design one day. The you know the little story in a couple of years' time about I spent the summer chasing these giant rudd, um, you know, hung the car rudds up and, and focused on these giant rudd, um, spectacularly failing in catching any of them. In fact, spectacularly failing in seeing them. Um, I spent a whole summer feeding maggots off the back of the boat in amongst the reed beds, waiting for these four or five pound rudd to appear. And I didn't didn't find them once. Um, funny enough, I think I'd done about three months fishing for rudd on chimneys. It's just moving forward a few years now. And um, I didn't see the rudd once. Millions and millions of little ones, but couldn't find any of these big ones. I thought, right, I'll have a, I'll have a weekend for the carp. I'll, I'll leave the rudd. Beginning of September, I think it was. I'll leave the, leave the rudd for, for the time being, and I'm going to have a weekend fishing for carp. And I ended up fishing the car park swim. Yeah, three rods, four rods taken out there. Um, and in the evening, I've got Darren sat with me, and we started to see these small carp roll. And we assumed it was a batch of the recent stockies. You know, we're just sitting about, about 40 yards out on the edge of the weed bed that's in front of the swim, just the other side of it. These, these carp, small carp, were rolling. But then I, I saw one rolling. I saw the dorsal. And I said, Darren, I think, that's a, I think that's a rud. And then he saw the next one was able to go, you're bloody right, they are rud. And all of a sudden I've got this shoal of giant rud in front of me. All my rud, rud tackle was back at home because I decided... I was, having spent three months chasing them, I'm going to have a weekend for the car. I've left my gear at home, and, of course, these giant red have suddenly appeared. So I ended up driving the next morning, driving back home, um, getting the red gear and, and having a couple of evenings for them because right on dusk, but you've only got about 30 minutes to try and catch one and get in the right place. Real challenge, and I really, really, really wanted to catch one of these red by design and, and, and try and claim the British record. But... Um, no, failed spectacularly, um, but had some fun trying. Um, but so I'm, I'm 
switching over all sorts of stories here. But That's back good. on the island, one o'clock in the morning, I've caught this giant rud, taken a photograph of it with my hand on, let it go, um, and been disappointed ever since. But two hours, I've gone back into bed, but two hours later, another run. Um, you know what it's like, you kind of at that out of the bag and kind of stumble to the rod and very often I, I find myself I'm, I wake up and I've got 12 foot of carbon in my hand flexing you know kind of how did mm-hmm. I get here yeah one of those kind of things um obviously I was playing a carp and you know went to net it um pitch black and I couldn't the the, the fish beached itself on the marginal shelf so I ended up which was probably at the time only about a foot deep um so I ended up jumping in and wrestling this carp into the net, you know, thinking I was about to lose it. Um, and then got, got the torch in the bivy and I looked down and this bloody thing looked massive. Um, I got the lake to myself. I was on the island all by myself. And I've got this fish that it turns out, and I kind of knew it at the time, but it turns out was the same fish that Darren had caught nine months previous. It was this uh, chestnut common, perfect, with a slight dip in its back. Um, and I weighed it at 44 pounds uh, and ounces. Um, and what, yeah, took some self takes on the island and then slipped it back. Um, wow, what a feeling that was. I mentioned earlier about the, the, the fact that I, I wish I'd got a ticket for this lake that this common lived in. And here it is nine months later in the bottom of my net. It was quite a surreal kind of capture, really. Um, but turned out, so that was, that's a, that was a fish called the Kinky Bowl, we refer to as. The kinky back common um so probably the other thing to i've not touched on here is that a lot of the fish most of the fish in, in chimneys don't have any names or anything because people don't catch them often enough mm. um and because you're often on your own or you know i started at the same time as darren and a couple of other people and other people move on kind of see so we don't really know what's in there and we're just trying to trying to catch carp um but we knew at that stage that there'd only been three carp caught over thirty pounds, over forty pounds. Um, one of which was a mirror, and two commons. The common had been out once in one of the commons had been out once in eight years. One had been out once in ten years. Uh, you know, you're really um, not scraping the rail, but you, you you're fishing a difficult difficult water, and who knows how long it's going to take you. Um, so. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm now fully immersed in chimneys. Uh, it's taken every single minute of my thinking time. Uh, and I've just absolutely fallen in love with the place, fallen in love with the challenge. There's, that's where I was going a minute ago. That none of the fish have names. Um, we refer to this big common as the kinky backed common. You know, so a lot of the names are descriptions. There's not a Colin in there or a Sid or yeah. a, there's none of that going on. And and the other beautiful thing about it, when, when you catch one, no one's going, oh, Steve had that at 24-2 last year. Or two, you, mm. you know, it's just like, wow, look at that. It's a carp out of chimneys, you know, and we're all just going, which one is it? I don't know. <laughs> look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, just very, very different. And, and that side of it, the not knowing made me realize that that's what I want in my life I, or in my fishing. I I want to not know what I'm fishing for. I want to know that I'm fishing for something good enough, you know, mm. but 
I don't want someone standing at the back, oh, that was out two weeks ago at this way or that way, or this one's called such and such. It just doesn't, I, I want to catch them all and just look at them and just go, fucking brilliant, um, and put them back, you know? Um, so I've kind of realised that that's what my fishing want, wants these days. This is what I want in my fishing these days, is that uh, peace and quiet, the unknown, uh, and the challenge is is very much what I need now in my fishing. I I'm going to struggle in I, one of the things we talked about on, on chimneys with with all the lads was you know the question of where do you go after chimneys? You know you it's just such a unique lake that you you where do you go after chimneys? But um, yeah, just an awesome awesome lake. So I've now had a couple of years on there. I've caught this. The biggest fish in the lake um, is Kinky Back Common. Um, and I think at that stage, you know, the, I hadn't caught another 30 pound. I think the fish that I was catching at this stage, I probably have eight fish by now. They were singles and, uh, sorry, doubles and twenties, generally speaking. Um, but we knew, we thought that the mirror called Birdies may well have died. Uh, no one could say that for sure, but. It hadn't been out in such a long time. It was a relatively regular visitor, you know, on the grand scheme of things. Um, so we thought I might be dead. We just left two 40-pound commons to go for. But, uh, you know, what I worked through my time on there um, and through looking and watching and, and, and catching a few, and, um, we, we the boys, the, the, the members, we thought there's probably four uncaught 50-pounders in there at the time. Nice. Um, now, if that's not enough to get your juices flowing, mm. uh, what what is you know? Um, and that that what became the goal. It was catching these oddens. We'd see them. They were not often, but we each year someone would get a glimpse of a fucking great big fish that blew their minds. Um, yeah, it, they were seen not often, often seen together there was four or five that would be pretty close to an uncaught 50 pounder. Um, and as far as I'm aware to this day, they still haven't been out and I've got no reason to suggest that they're not there anymore. Um, but so in your opinion, I mean, there's a lot of lakes with, you know, suppose uncaught, uncaught carp in, in your opinion, in this instance, what, why aren't, why aren't they getting caught? Are they genuinely never been caught? Have they been caught and not spoken about? Are they feeding in a way that would make them very elusive? What do you think is going on there? <laughs> do you know what? I thought of nothing else for the last seven years. Sam. I still, I haven't got the answer. I, I don't know. Right? Yeah. I, I, I'm one of these people that I don't give carp too much credit. Mm. You know, they haven't got any, any hands. If they want to try something out, they've got to pick it up in their mouth. Mm. Um, yeah, yes, of course, fish likes it's savvy fish. You know, we talked about you know, super cute and all that, but that's not the case on, on chimneys. That's those rules don't apply on chimneys because they go 10 years without capture, so there's no way that they're swimming around for 10 years going, Is that a hook? Is that a hook? Is that a hook? Yeah. You know, they're feeding different, feeding in different areas, whatever it may be. And we were all trying to find. The key to unlock one of those one of those big ones. Um, we knew there was two commons in there that we refer to. Uh, one I knew that because Craig had told me about it when he took me on his first walk around. Uh, there was a common that he referred to as 
the Brick Bay Common. There's a bay called Brick Bay. Um, and he only ever saw this car in Brick Bay, and it was, in his words, bloody massive. Mm. Um, there was also there was another one, another common that Craig told me about. He said they're different fish. One's longer, one's thinner, one's fatter, one's... Um, and I believe anything that Craig says when it comes to fishing. Um, so there was two two commons that we believed were in there that were that size, give or take. Um, but there was three three uh, mirrors as well. One of them was a, a grey, great big grey thing. Um, I ha- I've never seen that one to my knowledge, but I know a couple of people that have, and I've spoken to one of them whilst he was watching it, and the effing and jeffing coming down the phone, and um, so there's there's this great big grey one. Uh, which we call the grey mirror. Um, there was also um, one that had, apparently it had got bright white lips and somebody historically referred to it or called it Big L. Um, and it got great big lips and it was a, you know, massive mirror, uh, not grey, you know, more more sort of mahogany. Um, I, and going back a, a few years now, but I, I remember floater fishing and all of a sudden, I was starting to see these great big white lips, you know, sucking down the sucking down the flat, and it really I realised that must be Big L. So I was me trying to catch catch it on a floater, uh, fails, but the, the water is gin 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 clear. So I think fit, I never managed to catch one off the top of there because I think they could just see everything. It was just so clear that they just knew what was right and what was wrong. Um, so I went on there thinking floaters was the way forward, but it turned out I was totally wrong on that. Um, and there was a, there was another mirror as well, which um, you know might not have been quite so big, but so there was four or five fish in there. That as far as we were concerned, had never been caught, but you know who knows. Um, and we, we they get seen once or twice a year. Someone would see them, but we're talking anglers here now, where and we're all mates. We're all best buddies, like so. Let's say it was it was us against the carp, not us against each other. Mm. So you know, when these guys are telling stories, uh, you know, that I've just repeated there, you know, you you believe them because they they know what they saw um, and they're trustworthy guys. So that element of of mystique, mysteriousness, and, and challenge that that was what it was all about on Gymnas. and um, yeah, absolutely captivated by it. Um, but it's not a lake where you're going to catch 40 after 40 after 40 after 50 pounders. You know, it's kind of, you're going to catch 18 pound commons and 15 pound commons, and eventually you'll get one that will be a bit bigger. Mm. Um, so it wasn't a prolific water as far as big fish were concerned. Um, but crikey, was there a big challenge there? Um, and yeah, I, I accepted the challenge and put myself fully into it, but it's not, it's not a lake for the faint-hearted Mo- there's a big churn on the syndicate because a lot of people like the sound of it like the look of it but actually when it comes down to it it's such bloody hard work um that it isn't for everyone and in fact it's it isn't for most people so a lot of people join and then they've gone by the next year because they've never fished it or you know kind of did it once and it you know it was difficult and they didn't come back uh also worth mentioning that chimneys is there isn't a tree virtually isn't a tree on chimneys it's all thorn bushes and horrible things that will scratch your legs and your arms and ruin your clothing and 
all the insects are waving proboscis around looking for blood you know they're all about four inches in in size you know kind of everything's there is going to hurt you or scratch you or want to drown you or <laughs> i know i'm making this put in a little bit but it's just, <laughs> no, it's, how, it's just how it was and how it felt yeah, yeah she would kick you in the nuts time and time and time again it was um, a wild water very I, I i don't know how you could get much wilder if i'm totally honest um you know, there wasn't a bailiff you know we bailed ourselves never saw danny the owner um we were just left to our left to our own devices uh, um and if there, you know if you wanted to build a swim you could build a swim um the the the, the lake was pretty much lined totally by reeds you know and they they'd overgrow and i could probably name you four or five swims that aren't there anymore mm. so every year you know most of the anglers most of us we took a pair of sort of choppers, clippers, secateurs or whatever you want to call them um, with us because we were always thinning out the reeds and making a swim here and um, yeah, proper, proper exciting, proper um, make your own, no, yeah, no rules, yeah, just one, I could, I could go up. It, it, it sounds like it's the ultimate water that we all want, isn't it? Like you kind of just can't, you know, you make your own way, make your own rules. I think so. Your, I your think own so. ethics, it's wild, Absolutely. it's unkempt, yeah. sounds yeah. perfect and there's huge yeah. carp in it. Yes, um, and that uh, probably that sounds good. Probably sounds good to everybody, mm. but when you start doing it, yeah, it's a different story. Mm, yeah, um, it's a very different story. Um, so, hence the amount of churn we get, or they get. I've dropped my ticket now, so I shouldn't say we. I should say they now. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of through the through the first couple of years on there, I was nicking the odd bite here and there. I've got lucky with the big common. Um, I'd seen a couple of bigger fish that obviously got the juices flowing. Uh, I was catching, I think on the, on, sorry, in 2015, I think I had eight fish. Um, and then I had five fish for the next couple of years. But in all of these, so that's what I'm just adding that out now, about 18 fish, you know, three years in, about 18 fish. I'm catching well, but there's only one fish over 30 pounds. And that was 44 pounds. Mm. So, there wasn't or there isn't enough to make it it's not a big fish water mm. you know if it was stuff if there was you know a couple of dozen 40s and 50s swimming around it would be a very different water but you have to you had to accept that you were probably going to catch quite a few 20 pound commons yeah before something proper turned up but the, the thing with that lake is that you, you you were just waiting for that one thing to turn up um I think, yeah, those 18 fish, I think the only one over 30 pounds was the 44. Um, and the next year I did have a couple of 30s, a couple of low 30s. Um, but in amongst all that was, was quite a lot of commons and quite a lot of the stockies, the stocky mirrors. Um, but, yeah, no, mate, I, I, I fell for that lake, hook, line and sinker. Mm. And I, It's probably the only lake I'd, I'd sit in now having – got a ticket fished it and dropped the ticket that i would love to start it all over again knowing nothing mm. i did you know I, eight, eight years i spent on that lake and i think the most i'd ever spent anywhere was probably four years um and I, one sort of little tower I, eight years in and i don't know 30 40 fish later i still couldn't tell you how i caught them why i caught them what their patrol routes are it, 
there was just no consistency to it. You know, it, it big winds, uh, low pressure. It didn't fish. You know, thirty-two degrees and no wind. It fish its arse off. It was just the, the section uh, on chimneys in, in in the new book, Hiding in the Long Grass. The section on chimneys I've called on any other lake, because that's how most conversations around chimneys started. On any other lake, they'd be moving on this wind. On any other lake, I'd be quite confident now. On any other lake, I'd have had six. You know, it, it was just a total law unto itself, chimneys, um, and. I, I don't know why or how I caught any of the fish. You know, there was no putting the pieces of the jigsaw together because the, the, the jigsaw was just massive. Mm. And it was difficult to try and work out why you were catching. And, and every single year, it would start again from scratch. And you'd go back to your old haunts and you'd do nothing. Same time of year, same spot, nothing, not see anything. All the bait's still there. You literally had to start again every year from scratch. Um, there was nothing you could take from the previous years and learn from, um, which is quite bizarre. But again, never had that before. You know, usually two or three years in, you're like, oh, right, I think I've got the direction that they come from and mm. what they like and what they don't like. And still got no, no, no idea on chimneys eight years later. <laughs> what, what I don't know if you're, if, if you've got some more tales on chimneys to come or if you're not, but what, what was your most memorable capture on chimneys, would you say? It would have to be the first one that that yeah. fish can come and um, yeah. every single fish in chimneys, you look down at your net and you punch the air and you are whooping and hollering because you've caught one. There's you don't look into the net going, no, oh, it's only twenty pound. There's none of that goes on by any means. Um, so I, I'd have to say that fifteen pound common uh, was 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 the best carp probably I've ever caught. Mm. Um, Clearly, the, the 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 big common, the kinky back common, was was um, yeah. a big milestone. Um, but there was a another fish that I caught. Uh, I ended up catching it twice actually. Um, we'd seen, of course, nobody was able to say to you, "There's this many fish in here, and they, they look like that." But, but we'd we'd seen um, some fully scales. We'd seen two between us. We were able to piece together. We thought there was two fully scaled mirrors in there. Mm. And we thought one sounded like it was about 20, 21, and another one sounded like it was just a little bit bigger, 20, 23, 24. Um, neither had been, neither had seen the bank. Um, I actually I, I managed to catch one of those stalking. Um, I, thought it, I thought it was a common while it was down there. And then, of course, when it came up, shaking its head, with an orange boy hanging out of its mouth, I could see it was a fully scale. But I ended up catching that one twice, uh, same spot, um, just a couple of feet from the margin. And, and obviously the, the repeat was never going to be quite as much as it was the first time I caught it. But catching that fish for the first time, thinking, Do you know what, I think I'm probably the only one that's caught this fish. Yeah, immense satisfaction. Um, yeah, there was, there was, I've caught a number of 27, 28 pounders. Mm. Um, and I think only th two or three over 30 pounds during those, during those years. Um, so yeah, it's not the right lake for most people. But because um, because it's so wild, and it's there's there's no rules. It, here's, a, here's an example. When I'm not sure I should say this really, but when we had lockdown, obviously uh, all the lakes closed, mm. um, and, and we got a, an email or a WhatsApp message from from the bosses saying, "Look, 
I've got to tell you that the uh, you know the the lake is um, now shut for COVID, because of COVID. Uh, but I should also mention I'm I live in Nottingham. This is um, Dan had sent the message. I live in Nottingham and I won't be checking. Mm. So in in other words, he'd gone, guys, just do what you want. You know, do what you think's right. Um, and whereas most lakes had locked the gate. Um, so funnily enough, when he, in 2020, uh, I was fishing chimneys and, um, we obviously had, uh, had COVID start and we locked down at the end of, in fact, I think it was middle of March, if I remember right, middle of March, it was, you really shouldn't be traveling anywhere. In fact, you know, don't travel anywhere. Um, well then a couple of weeks after that, I was made, uh, or I was put on furlough. Um, which thankfully the business, my business at the time, the business at the time paid the 20% that the government wouldn't be paying. So in essence, I had 30, I think it was 13 weeks off full pay on chimneys. Um, and I just bought myself a little, I think it was February, 2020. I had a new man come into my life in the form of Dave, my new border terrier. Mm. Um, and he was six weeks old, I'm sorry, 12 weeks old. And I'm now stuck in the in the house with him. Can't go out. And anyway, got made redundant. Got got to put on furlough, and ended up having uh, it was nine or twelve weeks um, fishing. Oh, well, nine or twelve weeks off. But I thought, well, all I need to do now is just travel down the M1 once, and I'm going to go and live on the island. Hmm. Um, I'm going to isolate on the island. I'm going to go out every three or four days for some food, like I would do at home. Um, but that session, that session with Dave, his one of his first sessions was two weeks and five days long, because um, I didn't want to be going up and down the motorway, and you know I was isolating in the, on an island, that safest place in Britain. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So over that sort of nine or twelve week period, that's three or four months, um, I did an awful lot of fishing um, and a lot of it on the island. Captain caught well to start with, and then you know you'd blank for a month, uh, and then you'd find some more and. Um, have another go for them and maybe catch one or two of those. Um, it was COVID and, and, and for me was brilliant. I got a new dog. He loved it on the island. He could learn all about fishing and run around and no leads. And, and I'm being paid all my wage to fish. You know, it, for me, COVID was great. And I'm very fortunate that my little bubble, my family, um, there's only about five of us, five or six of us. Um, we all, none of us caught COVID. We all kind of had a little bubble. My mum and dad are sort of 70, 80 years old. So I've been very conscious about that. Um, and yeah, we, we as a family, we, we didn't catch COVID, which was, which was great mm-hmm. because we all did the right things. Um, yeah. but, uh, being able to, to, uh, self-isolate on an island in the middle of chimneys was just brilliant. And I, I do remember that first I think fishing got closed down for what three weeks or something like that, three or four weeks, and then it opened in must have been May. And I remember being shown a video of of the of the road leading to the gates at Farlows, and there must have been eighty cars all queuing waiting for the gates to open. Yeah, and I just thought, holy shit! I, I'm so thankful and pleased that I'm not part of that kind of race because. Well, you can imagine a pandemonium as they all park up in the car park and barriers are loaded and people are running off and 
Meanwhile, I was sitting on an island on 120 acres with it to myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like definite benefits of fishing a lake like that at a time like Jim, at a time like COVID. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it was a. a I've skimmed over it because there's an awful lot of nothing happening. Um, but we, we we also, because of where it was and the makeup of the lake and the land nearby, the wildlife was spectacular. Um, you know, there was a lot of uh, open ground, barren ground um, sort of to the side and to the back of the lake. So deers and, and foxes and uh, marsh harriers and, you know, all, we we even had a, a resident bitten uh, for one year. Oh wow! Yeah, um, cool. yeah, totally. You know, and he was almost quite friendly. I remember him following me as I'm drifting across into the North Lake from the South Lake, and he was sort of following me about thirty feet above me um, <laughs> as I'm pooping across the lake. Yeah, so the, the bitten was was uh, it, there was just lots and lots of of, uh, of wildlife that would keep us all entertained. You know, we we'd set up things like uh, little deer, you know. Uh, Traps and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Camera traps. Um, it's not still not quite the word, is it? Um, like motion sensor cameras. Yeah, trail cameras. It's like trail cameras. Thank you. Um, yeah, we set those up and, and see what was coming around at night. And it was deers and it was foxes and it was um, you know skylarks would be singing in the middle of the night or nightingales. I beg your pardon. It, the, the, the the whole package was just wonderful, um, and it was a shame to. I could have carried on there. Having done eight years, I would love to have carried on and, and, and I've got no reason not to carry on. But how long do you give a lake like that? How mm. how long do you try? One of the, one of the guys, Blaney, uh, I reckon he's probably been on there 25 years now because um, he's stuck with the thing of where do you go after chimneys? Mm. Um, and, and his ideal way of fishing is to choose a swim for the season and bait it and fish it and bait it and fish it and bait it and fish it. But I would call it boring them out, mm. but um, each to their own. And, and you know, he was quite he was successful as anyone else. So um, how long do you give a lake like that? Um, mm. I could have carried on for forever, but you know, when, when I think of my time on chimneys, if I say it's probably seven full years, I think I caught four fish over 30 pound not a lot you know and it's not enough for most people mm. um but the, because the lake ticked all the boxes for me it was it didn't matter didn't matter at all how how few you caught or how long you blanked um it was all part of the experience and the, the sort of uh wildness of the place um i think i'll forever in my life be looking for another chimneys um yeah yeah you know, at, at a time when those sort of lakes they're very few and far between. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, I mentioned them. I can't think of anything worse than sitting on Dinton or. No. I know they're wonderful lakes, wonderful fish. Yeah. But the rat race that comes with it, um, I, I just don't know how people put up with it, and no. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it, so I don't. No, I uh, I'm with you. I completely agree. Yes, yeah, my idea of hell as well. Um, what? So I guess that leads us to what? What is the next? step for you or what has been the next step for you after chimneys well i'll sort of move forward slightly the um in may of this year um i opted to take a redundancy package from the business i was working with which actually boots the chemist um 
and I'm now in a, I'm not working. Uh, I've got the redundancy money. Obviously, that's going quickly. But I'm I'm starting a new business. Uh, well, sorry, let me let me start that part again. When I got made redundant in 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 end of March, end of May, I beg your pardon. Um, got made redundant at the end of May. Had two months off fishing, which you, know, you can understand. And then my desire was to complete the book that I was writing. So I, I published Beyond the Green Gate in 2013. Um, and that with that, my desire with that book was to have my book on my bookshelf. Um, but I actually really enjoyed, quite, quite strange, I really enjoyed sitting in front of a computer and, and typing about my memories, my fishing, my thing, you know, what, photos, all that sort of stuff. I just like capturing the, the, the time on the bank uh, in writing. So from 2013, I, I kept my writing up purely for, for my own personal reasons. Um, and I had plans to produce a second book, but there would just be one of them. Or there might be 10 for friends, but there were, in essence, I was only going to print one because um, I didn't need the fame or fortune, quite frankly, um, or the hassle that comes with it when you put your head above the fishing parapet. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Um, um i what i then decided after that two months off um off fishing my plan was then to write the book complete the book i should say and and at that point from that redundancy earlier this year hiding in the long grass my second book turned from being a uh, hobby purely a hobby into an income stream Mm. So um, it changed how changed the book, uh, and I've basically spent the last five months uh, getting that to completion and, and another certain standard and proofread and photos done and laid out and stuff. Um, and yeah, that is now available. Will be available uh, before Christmas. Um, and that that's so since leaving Boots, that's been my objective has been to complete the second book. Um, and yeah, I, it's it's all getting a bit close to Christmas now. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, no, I, I, it, it's on the way. Uh, it'll be with people before Christmas, and then uh, I've got another couple of books in mind for the for the future. I've got one that I've already started with my dad, which I'm looking forward to finishing because he's my best mate. So to write a father and son book about fishing would be wonderful. Mm. Again, even if I only print one of them. Um, you know, uh, but we'll see how that goes. And a few other bits and pieces on the, in the in the pipeline. Um, I want to I want to fish as much as I can as long as I'm enjoying it. And um, as far as what happens next, not sure. Um, I, I do. In, I'm li- living in Nottingham. I'm lucky that I've got the River Trent on my doorstep, which is undoubtedly the best barbell river in the country. And whilst I was off down in the Colne Valley for 15 years chasing carp about, my dad became a full full on barbell angler. So when you know my fishing over the last last few years has also included quite a lot of barbell fishing. Um all of which is done during the day. So I've never done a night for the barbell. Uh, I've never bivvied up for the barbell. I don't use buzzers, you know, it's watching the tip and and being in tune with the environment and the river and its whims and ways. Um, I've done a lot of that, but it's mostly in the autumn time, um, you know, sort of 
September, October and into November. Um, so I, I still do a fair bit of barbell fishing. Um, but I, you, know, you can choose what sort of barbell fishing do you want to do. Hmm. I brought my sort of carp angling to my barbell fishing. So you know, there are certain areas, certain stretches where you can go and you can catch 20 barbell in a day. And eventually one of those barbell will become, you know, will be the size you want just by pure numbers going. But I, I didn't want to do that with my barbell fishing. I wanted to co- I wanted to try and chase the big ones. Um, so fishing stretches where you might get a bite every other trip. But when you do get that bite, um, you know, they're big old, big old whiskers. So the, the second, the second book that's, that's out now with the hiding in the long grass it splits into three sections. First section being survey, which we've gone through. Uh, the second second section being chimneys, uh, and then there's a third section, which is obviously the smallest section. But it details my time barbell fishing, and um, I was unsure whether to include that in a carp fishing book, but actually, it's part of my story. It's part of my journey, and to, to sort of talk about survey and chimneys, but not bring in the barbell fishing as well. It just didn't seem right. So kind of figured, well, it's my book. I'll do what I want. And um, hmm. yeah, so there's a, a couple of chapters at the end around um, around the barbell fishing. And there'll be a lot more of that. Um, I'm currently chasing some, you know, I've got some tickets for some really big barbell, which I'm looking forward to trying to uh, catch over the next 12 months. Um, I enjoy my predator fishing, my bar- my piking and and, and perching um there's a lot of that to come i've i've also joined and and this might sound very uh uh, opposite to what i've been saying earlier but i've recently joined st ives so the st ives complex over in wow that's that's busy right that's proper busy and that's proper busy it's a real circuit water right it is yes and i'm really struggling with it um just because it doesn't suit my style of fishing um but what I what I do plan, um, and I think if I was just now fishing weekends, I don't think I could cope with it. Mm. But having taken the redundancy in May, uh, having completed the second book, um, and I've got plenty of other things in the pipeline over the next few years, what I'm hoping my new way of life will be will will allow me to fish in the week um, and work at the weekends, or work yeah work at the weekends if I need to. So. I'm hoping that the next couple of years fishing for me will be midweek. Now, if it's midweek, I think the busyness down at St. Ives will be doable. Um, I, I don't think I could sit there for long uh, fishing the weekends there, to be honest with you, but we'll see. We'll see. It's too busy for me, but I've got to be honest. It's, it's quite nice. I've fished it for a year or so now, year, maybe 18 months. It's actually quite nice to catch some bigger fish. Um, it hasn't got a lot of 20 pound commons in it yeah you know, if you catch a fish out of there you're unlucky if it's less than 30 pounds yeah. so i'm actually quite enjoying having some time fishing for some bigger fish um but it won't be long before i find myself heading back into the long grass <laughs> nice just, just quick i think we're going to round up in a moment but before we do just expand on your books a little bit your first book um beyond the green gate was i mean it was a bit of a kind of there wasn't many copies done i think it was 500 and then another reprint of 200 is that right uh, so it was uh, yeah I'll, I'll tell you about the beyond the green gate um two, it was printed in 2013 mm. um it covers basically i suppose the first 
38 years of my life, uh, you know, the usual kind of early years at the start. And then it really, the book really sort of starts when I start fishing in the Colm Valley. So it's really my time fishing pits three, four, pit two, uh, the uh, golf course lake behind that, Savin on the days. Um, so the fishing, uh, when I started fishing Savé, <clears throat> I thought I've got a natural ending to the book now because I'm starting on survey. So almost that's the end of the first book. And if I'm thinking in book terms, um, the, the the second book was kind of from survey onwards. But yeah. so it's first one, Beyond the Green Gate. Yeah, it was it, mostly, it was mostly about my fishing from 2001 to 2012, fishing in the Colm Valley, a few lakes in the Colm Valley. <clears throat> um, and yeah, I, I printed... So, so I went through that process and I had a I had an ambition, I had a dream of having my book on my bookshelf. Like a lot of you and your listeners, you know, like collecting reading cart books and fishing books, got a bookshelf behind me. Um, I thought, how cool would it be to have on my book on my bookshelf? So that was what started this, the, the, the process for Beyond the Green Gate. And... Um, it took me probably seven years to finish it, but I'd pick it up for a couple of months and then I'd put it down for six months. And, 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 and. So it took a long time to, to get there, uh, and I was doing a lot of writing as I was – lots of writing as I was fishing. Um, and I produced so – I only really wanted to produce one for my book on my bookshelf. And I found a way of um, – I wasn't even sure if you could print one book. Um, turns out there is a way. Uh, I got uh, started investigating that in 2012-13. And I got a sample of this. Sort of, imagine a machine where you feed in a load of words and it goes whiz, bang, clunk, clunk. And out at the other end of the machine pops a book. Mm. Um, it's that sort of thing. Um, when I saw a sample of that book, um, I got, whoever had written it and whatever it was on, when I'd seen a a sample of that book it was clear to me that the uh it wasn't good enough quality mm. so yes i could have produced one but it wouldn't have looked like books like we we think of books you know with lithographically printing as soon as you start lithographically printing you start talking big money so i kind of had a i was in a position where I, okay well i want to print as few as possible but I don't, I don't want that book. I don't want that poor quality. I want better quality than that. In which case it was right, Stu, now it's a case of you have to print lithographically. Like, cool, crikey, that sounds expensive. Um, and it was. But what I worked out as, uh, if I did 200 hardbacks, 25 leathers, and 25 specials, then the income from that quantity would pay for the printing. Mm. And therefore, I would have my book on my bookshelf for free. Um, that was the that was the that was the dream. Um, but between kind of announcing or, or setting up a Facebook page, um, between doing that and pressing print at the printers, all of those two hundred and twenty five specials, twenty five leathers, had all sold out. So 
because obviously once word got out that a low number, individually numbered, low number book yeah. was being printed about the company, yeah, all the collectors suddenly, oh, I love one, I love one. Um, it, it, I was trying to say it when I started introducing the book five minutes ago. It had quite a kind of cult following, right? It, it did. And again, remember, though, that I'm not an angler that's famous. I'm not an angler that's written anything before. Mm. So of course, when it got to the you know pressing the print button, I didn't know if it was any good or not. Um, you know, and then all of a sudden people are prepaying me for these books and all of a sudden I'm now spending their money and what if they think it's shit and, and, and what if the stories are no good and, you know, kind of all those insecurities and anxiety start of, sort of things started whizzing around in my head. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, because I had sold it, it was sold out before I pressed print, Everyone was saying to me, oh, you've got to print more, you've got to print more, you know, crikey, you can make some money out of it. But I kind of, I've sold it to a lot of people on the basis of 200, it'll be one of 200. Um, and I didn't feel it was right to then go, right, okay, I'm going to increase it to 500. Don't be wrong, it was my book, I could do whatever I wanted with it. But I wanted to stay true to what my ambitions were and stay true to how I'd sold it to people. Hmm. Um, so I decided that now I'd stick with 200 um, and that would be the end of it. About three or four years later, obviously the book has then sold out, um, you know, they've all gone out in the post and whatever. Um, and they were, they were fetching like 260 quid on eBay. Um, I think the most I saw one guy was just under 300 quid. Yeah, yeah. £40 pound hardback book, you know. Crazy. Um, so of course I'm getting lots of people. Are you going to do a rerun? Because I can't afford that, you know. And anyway, three years later, I did another three hundred. Um, but again, you know, kind of as I say with the, with the first print run, I didn't know how it would go down. I didn't know whether it would. Excuse me, I didn't know whether it would sell. And it turns out it was really, really well received. And 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 I've, I'm sitting here now, ten years later. I've got to be honest. I've never seen or heard. A bad word said about it, which is quite unusual, really. Yeah. As far as you know, it's easy Absolutely. to slag anything off these days, isn't it, on the social media? Yeah. But it, it was—you're right—it was well received, which was lovely. And you know, I was very thankful for all those people that gave me some of their hard-earned money, or in some cases, some of their ill-gotten gains. Um, but you know, they—they—they they, they, they were prepared to spend some money for for my story. Um, and yeah, that, that was the first that was the first book. Um I've obviously this time round there was a much more demand because I'm now an established author. I suppose you it, mm. I'm an author, don't you know? Um yeah, you are. You are. Yeah, people now go, I'd like to read the follow-up to that. So this is now the follow-up to that first book. Um and because now this is now my new business, it's it's angling writing fishing books helping people to write books we haven't really talked about that yet um but um i decided to do another print when i've been on the green gate i've printed another 500 of those um so i've got copies of both that can can now be sent out and it's, it's almost like the basis of my new business mm. um yeah all exciting times superb so the new book there's uh, the first book is obviously called beyond the green gate the new one is hiding in the long grass if people want to go and grab a copy, where where would they go? Where's the best place? Uh, best place would be www.hidinginthelonggrass.co.uk. You can purchase both books from that website. 
So www.hidinginthelonggrass. Correct. I'm doing it now. .co.uk. <laughs> uh, .co.uk, exactly. Perfect. Right. So, um, yeah, now that those new books will be arriving with me any day now, um, I'll turn around and get them out into the Christmas post as quickly as I can with the idea of everyone getting them before Christmas. And then once we're into the new year, um, I suppose I better start flogging it and getting to mm-hmm. things like the carp shows and stuff, which is something I've never done before and really like fancy, but it's now part of my world and it's now part of the, my world that I need to embrace. So um, yeah, if any of you guys listening, see me at a carp show, uh, even if you don't buy books, pop in, say hello. <laughs> yeah. Lovely stuff. I'm sure you'll, uh, I'm sure you'll do absolutely great. I'm looking forward to this this book coming out. Obviously, we've spoken a few times, and yeah, it's uh, you you know this kind of angling, as people can tell, certainly if they've got to this stage, it's not your you know run of the mill kind of angling. It's a little bit different than that. It um, certainly is. It certainly isn't an, a, a how-to book. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, it isn't a book full of full of copious amounts of very large carp. It's a yeah. it's one man's tale of some very difficult fishing, which. You know, a lot of people through the years say, "Oh, it's all right." All we ever hear about is the good times from people, you know. And, and yeah, very but true. Actually, this this includes all the downsides as well. So uh, yeah, it's a real roller coaster of emotions for me. Amazing, good stuff, Stuart. Thanks ever so much for doing this. I know this is uh, far from what you no- normally do and what you want out of your angling, but I really do appreciate you sharing everything. That's been a pleasure, Sam. Thank you very much for inviting me on. <laughs>